does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Yeah, we don't teach flopping. We teach our players to play downhill and attack the paint and be forceful. I just know that we, uh, uh, you know, our coaching staff and us players, we don't we don't work on flopping. That's not even a part of our game. Our our game is to attack, attack the paint. We don't mind physical contact. We actually like the contact, um, and we don't shy away from it. So we're just not a, a, a team that. Um, you know, goes out there looking for, for flopping opportunities. That's just not us. It's never been, it's actually never been in any team that I've played on in my 20 years where we've been a flopping team. Is that so, LeBron? Are we sure? This is the Fan Midday Show. A lot of interesting comments back and forth last night. We had a pair of NBA playoff games and both games extending the series as we saw the Knicks hang on to beat Miami Heat and the Warriors. Yeah, we all saw this one coming. Defeating the Lakers 121-106. Anthony Davis unable to finish the game, leaving in a wheelchair and being evaluated right now. Uh, (laughs) Scott Agnes here back in the saddle, joined again by Jimmy Cook and producer Eddie Garrison. But I'm not going to lie, Jimmy, last night's game's highly disappointing to me. And to go back to the first clip, I got to start with something that piqued my interest right away. When we heard about that, we heard Chris Haynes' interview with Darvin Ham. I think it was to begin the fourth quarter, which, by the way, I hate those in-game interviews. Waste of everybody's time. But this one at least got a, a minor interesting quote in all of this. And it took me all the way back more than a decade. I think it was my first season covering the Pacers. We heard LeBron say, "No one, my teams have never flopped, never have. I don't think that was the case. We all remember the Miami Heat days. We all remember Pacers fans at then Banker's Life Fieldhouse saying he's a flopper. I think it started because of the Heat. Anyways, before that series started, Frank Vogel, he wanted to set the tone for the series. They're the biggest flopping team in the NBA, yes, you could say that. Yeah. <laughs> and then LeBron obviously responded just like he did last night. And it's it's all fun in games. I thought the officiating in that Lakers game was pretty bad and heavily tilted towards the Warriors. The Warriors got up huge early on. They allowed the Lakers back in the game. Then they took full control in that second half. And by then, Le- LeBron, even more so than usual, did not like look like himself. Looked like he was continued to be bothered by that injury. AD goes out, and the result is kind of what we were thinking, Jimmy. Flopping's a lot like Fight Club, right? You don't talk about <laughs> flopping. Don't talk about Fight Club. First rule, standard practice. So yeah. on the one hand, what's LeBron going to say? Like, he's not going to say, you know, I, yeah, I flop. I oh, flop all the time. Thanks for noticing. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm glad you guys finally caught on. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a bunch of horse apples, right? Like, that's that's really what it is at the end of the day. Like, they, they it, it, he did it in Miami. He did it in Cleveland. I, I agree with the concept, and uh, Stan Van Gundy said this last night on the broadcast. Like, while they poked fun at it, I would be surprised, and maybe this is ignorance of me for not being in those practices, there's actual time really dedicated to flopping like I like I would assume there's more important things to work on like your sets than having set time to do that for sure so I agree with that sentiment initially by Brown Ham like that perhaps that's not something they waste practice time on but 
it's league-wide. Wherever you want to point to where it started is, is a debate for another time, but it is league-wide, and LeBron, like most stars in this game today, are very good at being able to draw, claw, draw calls. So the idea that that doesn't happen or that's not something that his teams do is, is ludicrous. It's laughable. Made me chuckle. Made us all chuckle taking a trip down memory lane. Oh, for sure. Hearing Frank Vogel with it. But yeah, it's it's a league-wide thing. And you, you know it's memorable when I th- throw back to a quote from a coach who was beloved here. Yeah. But it was his like third stop ago. <laughs> yeah. That's that's how yeah. also memorable those games and those series were. And I give credit to the Pacers fan section and, and their, the crowd in general really owned up and joined in on that chant. He's a flopper, which was fantastic. And and honestly, Jimmy, those are the things that we miss right now. Mm-hmm. The goosebumps you get with the field house filled with fans, with a playoff atmosphere, something we have not experienced now the last three off season or post seasons. And the Pacers want to get back to, but I was disappointed in the games last night for sure. Um, in the latter game, it was a matter of it, it, you can tell it's going to be how far can Steph take this Warriors team? It's so sad to see where Clay Thompson's at right now. He's a shell of himself, inconsistent. He'll have one game that pops to be sure, but I think uh, I think he started one for seven, missed a couple of layups, one in transition, and Draymond will show up. You know Draymond's going to show up, and it took him 20 seconds, I think, to get his first foul call and to argue the ref. And you know, honestly, on those nights, it's going to be a good night for Draymond and company and such. But you had that one. I think the Heat-Knicks game, guys, is a game that's probably the least watched in the playoffs right now. Are either of the teams likable? I don't know about that. The the stunning thing in all of that one was the Knicks and the Tibbs. He's... (laughs) His backcourt's going to be burnt out for the next game. They played all 48 minutes of a playoff game. In the answer for likability, I mean, it's it's hard not to like Jimmy Butler, right? Like, I, I, I have no problem, and it's very easy for me to admire I think it's more the what he does. Yeah, so but factor. and and that that's harder here, right? Because we were joking yesterday about the lack of a live a rivalry between Pacers or sorry, not Pacers, Colts and Patriots, right? That was our conversation yesterday since we found out with one of those early scheduled nuggets. Yep. And again, it is scheduled day, scheduled release at nine, eight o'clock. Mark your calendars if you haven't already. We'll get into that a little <laughs> bit later. But let's go. Woo! But uh yeah. No coffee needed for Jimmy. Pa- Pacers heat. No, don't need it. All natural right here, baby. Uh Pacers heat. Yeah, like one of the more uh, iconic bad blood rivalries of the last decade in this city. You're not going to find much likability in this market for Miami, even though LeBron, Dwayne Wade, and most of the cast of characters that were there during that time aren't there anymore, except for Udonis So and Eric Spolstra. So yeah, I get that part of it. But if you're talking about like, is there a star power guy that can draw you that, wow, like that guy is insane. Jimmy Butler can do that for you to an extent at times, strictly with his presence. Bam Adebayo can do that for you. New York, again, another one. This is this is basically, if you look at the last 30 years, this is not the market to find a pulse of someone that's like, I'm really rooting for the Knicks today. Or, oh boy, I really <laughs> like those Heat. Yeah, you're right on that front. This is the wrong market to try to find. Back to relevance is, is the storyline for right, the Knicks. Right. And that is... We all say it, but it's absolutely true. The league is better off when a franchise like the Knicks is relevant again. Doesn't mean they have to be contenders. And maybe that's more what I was getting at here is the reality is neither one of these teams is going to win. This The, the finals. No, I'll be stunned yeah. if either one of them even get to the finals. So I think with that, 
I see this playing out, and it's like, oh, that's cute. Okay. It wouldn't surprise me one bit at this point if Miami's there. I'm not going to go as far as to say it's They just the don't have the firepower, man. But they always somehow are able to find a way, whether it's Jimmy Butler carrying the day, even with the absence of Tyler Hero, whether it's you know Duncan Robinson. <laughs> yeah, how about like Duncan they're... Robinson being back last <laughs> night, finding his shot? That's been one of the most bizarre storylines yes. over the last year and a half in the league is Duncan getting paid, Jimmy, and then being pushed to the bench. Yeah. It's other guys playing over him, including Victor Oladipo back when he was healthy. They need to be able to have floor spacers to make up for the absence of Tyler Hero. And in, in theory, your instant answer to that would be guys like Duncan Robinson. And and that's a positive end for the Heat after last night, even though it was in a loss to see him shoot 50% from beyond the arc. For New York, looking at both these series, uh, in this case I'm referring to obviously Miami and New York and then out west with LA and Golden State, I don't really see a path for the Knicks like despite what they just did, you it's a feel-good game, right? You're back at home. Pretty much all your big-time players performed when they hadn't really risen to that level prior in the series. As you mentioned, though, For sure. heavy minutes logged across the lineup. I'd be pretty shocked if Miami doesn't close it out in six tomorrow night. On the Lakers-Warriors side of the ledger, as we go big picture nationally, and, and, and we'll have a lot of those conversations today with, with Evan Sidery and Joe Varden as we go through the NBA playoffs and where they're at right now, this has shifted for me now. Yesterday, I was kind of leaning, okay, it's Lakers, but if you wanted to sprinkle a little bit on the Warriors to win the series, hey, you can get some value there. Vegas has adjusted. The, the betting public's adjusted. Now plus 195. It was like plus 400 before that for the Lakers, or for the Warriors, the Warriors rather, the win of the yeah. series. I don't know that I find a true path for LA anymore, unless Davis, who last reported by Chris B. Haynes, is supposed to go, barring a setback. Unless Anthony Davis has another big game, and unless you're able to get another role player breakout like you did Lonnie Walker, like you had Austin Reeves in the Memphis series, unless you find that, they're not winning when it goes back to Chase Center. I, I just don't see it. And that's been the storyline entering the postseason for this Lakers team. They have enough to compete to be interesting. The trouble is we're seeing LeBron right now. What is he, 60%, maybe 70% at best? Yeah. He's a shell of himself, which is still better than most of the league. Yeah. But you look at it, he lacks that burst, that explosion. Sometimes he settles for the three. That usually is a tell that he's frustrated and just is like, all right, I'll take over and do it myself right, right now. But if, if LeBron or Anthony Davis is unavailable or very minimal in what they're able to contribute, no chance. They're just not good good enough all around. That the, the fact that they need a guy like Austin Reeves or Lonnie Walker the fourth, Hachimura to pop off occasionally, that's why they're in there too. Davis and LeBron are good enough to put them into the conversation, to keep them in a game. Why they've won three games to this point is because they've also had that role player step up. And for them, it has not been a, uh, the same guy every time. Because of the makeup of that roster, it's been someone different each time. I think they'll probably come away with this series, but I don't see them advancing past this. See, but, and this is life in the knee-jerk reaction society that we live in, right? Like, I'm I'm at this point, like, I've, I've shifted towards Golden State. I'm going to play a future on Golden State for taking this series and coming back because I there's now a path really? there for me. Like, I, I, I don't know what it is, and the main catalyst to this is one that's going to surprise you. I'm expecting... Maybe not 30, but a high-quality performance from Clay Thompson 
in game six. Like I'm, I'm expecting him to pull his weight. I'm expecting another great performance from Steph Curry. Like you would expect when the stars are needed most in the playoffs. So on the one hand, yes, like my betting interest now have shifted towards the Warriors forcing a game seven and ultimately winning this series. But if we're going with your Avenue, which is the Lakers win it, we talk about, okay, well they have to rely on these role players. You could make an argument in terms of contributions this is the deepest roster that a LeBron James-led team has ever had. Like, I, I, that's not a big leap to say that by any means. Ooh. Maybe not in terms of three-point shooting, but in terms yeah. of the ability to go out and get you 20. I got to have a hard time not doing one, one of the Heat five. teams. And, and again, that's an argument that I'm willing to hear. Yeah. I just feel like in terms of top to bottom, particularly when they've gone back home, you can expect some reliability from... I'm not even talking about Lonnie Walker. You can expect some reliability from Dennis Schroeder, from D'Angelo Russell. They're going to have costly turnovers and head-scratching plays like you saw last night. But if they're still getting you 20, 25 at home, yeah, there's your path. And against Denver, I want Anthony Davis to be as healthy as possible because I'm fascinated by how that's going to look, a matchup between him and Nikola Jokic and looking at Jamal Murray and the Lakers guards and... That series, that's the series really I want to see. Yeah, I want to yeah. see Nuggets Lakers. But if, however, last thing on that point, yeah. the other thing is the reality though is if the Lakers finish off the series, what's next for the Warriors? And that's a whole show in itself. Yeah. Are we ready for that? Because there might be sizable change. Probably more than anything, one change. You probably yeah. move on from Draymond. Mainly because Clay Thompson has a player option. No way he's turning that down for like forty-two million. No. Draymond's in a different scenario. He also has a player option. I think for twenty-nine-ish million, but I think it could be more likely. Either does he get say, "All right, we're doing it one more time," or does he rather go in there and get a three-year, ninety-million-dollar deal? Yeah, I which mean, isn't awful money considering the cap's about to rise. You mean internally with Golden State? You don't mean opting out and going to try to get that somewhere else? I mean for both. Okay. Like what what value is he worth? Yeah. Because in the playoffs, he's worth a little more. Obviously, he's getting older. He doesn't contribute as much as he used to offensively. Defensively, among one of the best, smartest defenders when he's focused and playing out there. But, yeah, I hope it's not the end of the dynasty, but... If if I'm and then this brings in a whole other conversation I didn't expect to go down here. Memphis Grizzlies. <laughs> <laughs> Draymond is where we're running up. Imagine imagine yeah, imagine Draymond <laughs> opting out and signing with Memphis. Be something. I was gonna say the Lakers are the first team to come to mind. The clutch connections. He's buddy buddy with LeBron. Yeah. That that's the first thought for me there. Otherwise, I, I'd wonder. The, the first other team, this might be random, that came to mind was Detroit. Young team, needs a veteran. What if they get Victor Wimba and Yama? Then they'd have their ninth center. No, <laughs> on the team. That's a different conversation. Would you but, pay him $30 million for three years if you're a probably a team? Like, not Golden State in this instance, but another team. I mean, he's 33. It depends on your situation. But like the Pistons I was just talking about, you got minimal salaries. Fair. You could do that for three years. Yeah. Because you don't have to play pay Jaden Ivey for another right. three years. Yeah. So you can just like the Colts with Anthony Richardson. What they've spent on quarterbacks the last several years, like forty million, twenty five million. They're getting Anthony Richardson for like that value for the next five years. 
And that's what you can do when you have a young team. Not to say that's what he'll do, but that's an intriguing thing. By the way, Michigan, the Michigan ties, Tom Izzo. The, we should have known right when they showed Tom Izzo in the first quarter last night. This is going to be a Warriors game. He always brings out the best yeah. in his former player. I felt pretty good about the seven and a half that we laid last night uh, when I saw Tom Izzo in the building. Yeah, that, I, would, I would agree with you on that front. But to the overall conversation about the Warriors, though, Scott, and we talked about this a couple days ago with Matt Moore, if they do get off the mat fully and win this series, why why couldn't they repeat? Like why why a matchup with Denver would would scare you to the point that you think they wouldn't come out of the West and ultimately raise the trophy? Particularly if it's Miami or Philadelphia that they're going to go up against in the NBA Finals. I mean, I Eddie said it was, and you can give me a thumbs up if I'm right on this. What plus four fifty? I love how you always come from the betting for NBA Finals uh, <laughs> championship for the Warriors. Yeah, to win it all, 800. plus eight hundred. So again, like buy buy your buy your lottery ticket now. Like if you're looking for a, a high value opportunity, again, you're giving up. Still, they have to win two more games. But if they get past the Lakers, proving once again even down three one, and they'll have been in a deficit of two games or greater in back to back series now, where they've been written off both times. You think they could win them ten more games? There's just so much that's being asked of Steph Curry by himself right now. That is so much to ask of one guy in the most important series of his season. Let's toy around with it for a second. They beat LA in seven. They beat Denver in seven. At that point, it's either, because I'm I'm risky with doing this, but let's say you yep. know Boston's gone. We just talked about how questionable both Philadelphia and Miami are. You don't think they could beat either of those teams? They make it to the finals? Like, those two teams, you yeah. You got to send I, that out when you're looking at the value, right? Because the value is at plus 800 for two reasons. And I guess and I we're talking two, we different, talking two things. different things. I'm talking what actually happens. You're talking, talking about if you're trying to put some money sure. on the on anything. Correct. Where's the value? Right. And that's a very different. Point. Sure. But because you don't want to go with the Lakers, everybody goes with the Lakers. Yeah. Therefore, the money's never good. Correct. If that's what you're getting at. Correct. You could get some value in Denver. Not quite that type of value because. You know they're up in the series and likely going to close out tonight. To me, that that's got to be the that's got to be the game. Denver go in go in with the Nuggets. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's not any. And you can if you get, want the safe bet, that's got to be yeah. it. I mean, they're they would be the clubhouse favorite. I would assume right now, either them or L.A. And Philly's up there too. Okay, so Philadelphia Philly after they just today. Took, after yeah. they just took Game Five. So that's what that was. I just I, I'm at a point where you really have to look hard in the mirror with what this Golden State team can still do, and I get it. The miles are always going to be a thing. I think that's sometimes overblown. Like, yes, fatigue is a real thing, but when you get this close to the finish line, and you're as experienced of a team as Golden State is, I I throw that by the wayside a little bit more than I would for a team like Philadelphia, where there's real injury history with Embiid, and even for though sure. he's playing through it. See, so yeah, I just I think there's a from the value betting standpoint, you're right. Are they actually going to do it? It's a big ask, but I'm just saying, like, there's no reason Golden State can't go in and win game six. And back home for game seven, you're going to bet against Steph? I don't even mean, like, literally put money on it. I mean, right. in the sense of who you would pick in a pick em. You're going to go against the Warriors <laughs> if they're able to go steal The thought there LA? is he's going to hit over 30. Right. Because if they have any chance, he's going to have to go for 35-plus yep. for the Warriors to have a chance in that type of series. Jordan Poole bounced Simple back yesterday from a scoring Oof. perspective. He, like he we said, he would. Again, he wasn't perfect, but right. 
you got contributions up and down the lineup. <laughs> one of six from three. Again. So that's... you're saying at least he made one. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that <laughs> from, from we talked about that, though. When you're looking at how thin the margins are sometimes on these games, you can't have a goose egg from a guy that you're paying that amount of money to. And that's what they had in, sure. in game uh, five. So I think he was 0 of 8 from three. Or game four, I beg your Over part. the last three games. Right. So the fact he was able to hit one, that's sure. key. Overwhelming take is we need the Pacers back in this. Correct. That's so much fun. And, and again, I, I stand by it, even though um, Tim Bontemps pushed back a little bit with it. But and maybe I didn't clarify my position clearly. I'm not saying that there's a level of parity in the Eastern Conference to where everybody that's in the Pacers position can instantly become Boston or Milwaukee or Philadelphia. But I am saying that of those rebuilding teams, there is a pathway for a quick turnaround with where the Eastern Conference is from a state perspective right now. For sure. Now. Let's just look at this. Pacers finished this past season 35-47, and 47, 11th in the Eastern Conference. I'm going to name the teams above them. And let's go pace next year. Will the Pacers have a better season, given it's far too early? But this could be irrelevant to what – this is relevant to the conversation we're having. Chicago Bulls, yes. I'd say Absolutely. Yes. And obviously, bearing health for everybody. Toronto Raptors, I think they're poised. They're going to get a new coach. Yes. They're poised to make a couple of roster current changes. I would say yes. Miami Heat tendency says no because Pat Riley is so good at rebuilding a roster. They need to make changes. I will say no. What about you? I will say yes. A nine win difference this season. It's it's a it's a lean of more of a they could, but I, I would say yes. I think they have the ability to do that next year. Atlanta Hawks, 41-41 and 41 this season. If I'm going to take them over Miami, then I'm going to take them over Atlanta. Yes, I think they can do that. I do too. Brooklyn Nets, a team that won 45 games, finished in sixth, one, stop, one spot below the Knicks. Roster turnover, though, at the trade deadline, full of wings, poised to make significant moves. I'm going to say... I think yes. that's probably a toss-up because there's so much we need to see with the Nets and what direction they have now under Jack Vaughn. Barring them getting a, which they could, I suppose, a superstar from a trade perspective, just looking at the free agent class upcoming this year, there's not a piece that would instantly be placed in Brooklyn right now that I see that would make you think they're back as a playoff contender, no doubt about it. So barring them making trades that aren't rebuilding trades, they are retooling trades to try to get back into contention – that's an avenue that where you could say, okay, no, they're not going to be better. I'm going to say, yes, they will be better because I think they are trades that are more draft capital equity trying to be a contender again in 2024. I would say Pacers will be better because I agree. I think they're poised to take on like four first round, yep. get four first round picks for, I don't know, Cam Johnson, Mikael Bridges, guys like that, that I know the Pacers would very much need and want at this point. But I, out after that, Knicks, Knicks probably not right now. I mean, they're in the second round of the series playing well, and we'll have some continuity. Um, and anything above that, I'm not even going to touch right now. But it seems like generally we're saying 6-7 seed or so potentially next year, which I, would be fantastic. I don't think that's an unreasonable ask. And I, I think that if it is 6, if it's out of the plan, which we discussed this again earlier in the week, like what's the real value or goal to shoot for? And, of course, a lot of it is predicated on – how the ping pong balls go for them on Tuesday night and ultimately what they decide to do with the draft picks that they have, a handful of first rounders at their disposal. Are they really going to make every selection that they have or will there be 
a move or two made by Kevin Pritchard and company remains to be seen. I think there will be. So I don't think that's that much of an ask because you know the Simons are, I don't want to say frustrated, but you mentioned it yesterday. You don't want to be back in the lottery next year. You would like to see another leap forward to to where you're a playoff team. I think they have the potential to do that. A lot of it hinges on still what happens this offseason, but there was enough faith restored for me with how good last year's draft class was that I think they can find the right value to make this team a sizable leap next year. Let's let's table that conversation and get into the draft lottery and such on the other side of our next break. Want to rehash some of the other news that's been announced today. More NFL schedule release news that's... Uh, been very nice for I know Eddie and Jimmy appreciating that. We'll have the full schedule tonight at 8 p.m., which is exactly what I'm waiting for. Then we can just see how it looks, know when that bye week is, and and move on from there. And I'm sure you guys will rehash Look on at that. Friday. He's got it now, Jimmy. He's got it down. He... I know you could do it. I believe in you. You're ready. You're 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 accepting the schedule, even though I feel like there's high levels of sarcasm oh, in look, your voice. Oh, I'm high like, levels. I, 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 I still high appreciate levels. it all the same. You fooling us and making give us me week on one give me the bye week <laughs> give me the week 17 is there a game on a holiday and i'm good anyways uh breaking th- my heart <laughs> there you go we did find out first monday night football game will be the debut of aaron Rodgers in a jets uniform as they'll face the bills really like that matchup that's going to be a good one for joe buck and company i would agree wholeheartedly got chiefs lions to open the season should I was be. kind of surprised by that only because of the lack of star power with the Lions. Yeah. Lack of intrigue. Chiefs, Mahomes makes perfect sense. And to be fair, you're going to have the Chiefs. You're going to have teams like the Jets all over. Um, primetime games. you got to space them out. And you know that Thursday game is going to get ratings regardless because it's the first one. So you can kind of put one star power against an average team on their slate and probably get better than average ratings. And that's why that's done, right? Yeah. I mean, and... You're exactly right in that regard because the hunger is there. You've seen how me and Eddie just reacted about the schedule release that hasn't even happened yet. You're, you're going to get the eyeballs, the crazy viewership numbers for the first game of the season, regardless of who it is. Detroit had an up-and-down season last year. Obviously, I know they, they ended up worse than they wanted to be, but at times they were a fun team. Could be a fun matchup, but I agree there's not any jump-out-of-your-seat star power to this point in Detroit right now. No, just more optimism. <laughs> Dan Campbell and what he's what he's doing. We saw what on Hard Knocks and what they were accomplishing. Um, funny dude, and we also their coordinator was it Ben Johnson? I want to say mm-hmm. was getting a lot of interviews. A hot candidate, perhaps for next off season. One more year under his belt, running the offense there with the Lions. So that's another idea, another level of intrigue. I think um, with all of that, I don't think I'm missing anything. I think that was kind of your news. Uh, Kansas, I guess, has a big man. That's going to be transferring. Interesting timing, only because it's so late in the transfer portal time, right? Like you're looking at mid May here, but on the other side, they just got a commitment. So he's sitting there and going, Oh, now I'm going to play behind this guy. Nah, I want out. This is my only, this is one of my few things that I dislike about the free movement, the transferring. It's like, but one thing is the team promised the guy a role or a spot, maybe a starting job, right, Jimmy? But on the other side of it, you know what's fun? Battling every single day. Maybe you beat him out for that spot. There's something to internal competition that sometimes, I don't know in this case, but sometimes it feels like players are avoiding and rather just go to a more comfortable spot. 
Yeah, I mean, that that's definitely prevalent, right? In this particular instance, if it is going to be the... If you're looking at the transfer portal for whether it's good or whether it's bad, to your point about promises made and, and situations made, if you're if you're a big man within Kansas and then you see Hunter Dickinson come in on campus, I get it. Like, and you're frustrated because hey, look, this was supposed to be my role. I was promised the starting job. But in in, in a perfect world where it, it, it maybe in your case, cause I don't really hate the transfer portal. It's chaos. It is what it is. But in a perfect world where there are restrictions on that, there'd be perhaps room for more guaranteed competition because the player isn't coming until middle of the season or isn't coming until a delayed period of time versus now that big man's here. You know Dickinson's going to be the starter. He transferred here. Why shouldn't I be able to transfer somewhere else too? You know, so it's a two-way street. I get it. I understand a lot of people get frustrated with uh, you're passing on adversity or you're you're not letting yourself grow in an uncomfortable environment. Sure. And that's fine. But, I mean, you could argue maybe Dickinson did the same thing looking for greener pastures coming to Kansas in the first place. And for IU, they're sitting back and waiting to see if they're going to land this another prospect with a top 10 player set to announce tomorrow the two reported finalists, Kansas. And IU. And you're talking about, not exactly, do we know exactly how to say his name? I don't think so. I would go with Mbako. Mackenzie Mbako. Sounds uh, good to me. I think <laughs> former Duke commit. I also am uncertain. But. Six foot eight wing. Exactly the type of player every team in the country, every team in the NBA can't get enough of is that six foot eight athletic wing. So that would be a huge hit for Mike Woodson and company if they're able to land him down in Bloomington. This is a hard spot for me in terms of what Indiana is going to look like next year because yeah. you knew going in to the offseason period that it was going to be a portal year. And so all you can do as a fan or, or somebody that's you know reacting or reporting all this is take the names where they come, go look at what they've done previously at their, their previous stops and, and see or try to see what the coaching staff sees. But it's arguably even harder than when it, when a fresh recruit comes in. Of course, I'm talking about a high school recruit because what are you really getting? What does the coaching staff see in that particular transfer prospect that they can add to the table? And then because it's going to be such a unique season in that regard for Indiana, you're not going to really know, just like with Anthony Richardson with the Colts, you're not going to really sure. know if the ingredients mesh into something special until they actually take the court. So. I mean, what did we see yesterday? Demise Anderson. Remember him coming into right. IU several years ago? <laughs> How many times do we see these four- and five-star recruits come into town, whether it's West Lafayette or Bloomington, wherever, and they don't pan out as expected, as or they don't live mm-hmm. up to uh, the hype? Maybe that speaks to how much those players are hyped up before they're even 19 years old as well. That's another thing to keep in mind here. News on Pat McAfee. Let's talk about that on the other side, about a lawsuit that I think you probably know about. Update on that front. Plus, want to get back to the draft lottery. What it what matters? The draft combine next week in Chicago. I look forward to being there. Why it matters, what we should look forward to, and a whole lot more here on the Fan Midday Show, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. <laughs> this is the Fan Midday Show, 1237 in the afternoon. What a classic. Gotta love that. That's Eddie Garrison behind the board. Scott Agnes here. You can read my stuff at Fieldhouse Files. Co-hosting for the second day in a row, as always, with Jimmy Cook. And Jimmy, I wanted to first 
Before we got into Draft Combine, Draft Lottery, which I know I'm really, that has me excited where you're giddy about the NFL schedule. Before I get into that, I do want to note that Pat McAfee announced that no more of the lawsuit. He was being sued by Brett Favre for defamation and, and t- I guess, talking about um, the allegations that all went on. That is no more. And as Pat said, they can get back to sports. But that was an ongoing saga for, what, last four months or so. Mm-hmm. That all just seemed unnecessary because everybody was talking about Brett Favre. No money paid in this settlement. <laughs> well, whatever happened there. What I are mean, we doing? It, look, if that's all it took to get the dogs off of Pat McAfee, then good for him. He's got to say the right things. Yeah, say the uh, definitely off the cuff, uh, improvised, not written statement at all whatsoever. Not at there all from uh, from Pat. But yeah, I mean, look, it a weird <laughs> chapter. Uh, a lot of weird comedic chapters throughout his time as a member of the media, as an entertainer. So in, in, if you haven't got a chance to see that clip, you know, go see it at some point. But yeah, very funny ending to that. And I'm glad that they're able to leave that behind them because it was <laughs> as much as I did love the idea of a, a court showdown between Pat McAfee There's and Brett There's no Favre. way Brett Favre would want to do some discovery. Right. Just because right. in general, by the way, nobody would want discovery. No. <laughs> I mean, so again, the, the whole thing, whether or There's not... There's a reason Tom Brady didn't want to give over his cell phone. <laughs> exactly. I don't think anybody wants to give up their cell phone to anybody. No. But I'm glad that's over with. It felt to be all about, well, nothing. So, anyways, that that is done with and gone. Next week, will be up in Chicago NBA Draft Lottery first, coming up on Tuesday. And then the Draft Combine, mostly from Wednesday to Friday. It's interesting, too, because... It, you have more of the comparisons here because, of course, we host the NFL scouting combine. NFL is a bigger beast, so it gets more attention. There's more, a lot more made, I will say, about the NFL and the social aspect too. How you know a lot of the work gets done after 9 p.m. and they're over at Prime and St. Elmo and Jerry Jones's bus. There's really none of that, Jimmy, at the draft lottery draft combine in Chicago. Uh, it's right there, kind of the McCormick Place, I think, Convention Center and the Marriott Marquis and Wintrust Arena where all that's going on. But most of what is happening is is teams evaluating these players, teams talking to agents, agents meeting with teams, agents meeting with media. It's a lot of conversations, but nothing as publicized and nor as formal as it seems with the NFL side. It's not a spectacle yeah. like the NFL is. Yeah. It's not doesn't turn into this massive public interest thing because it's not really built that way. It never has been. And you mentioned the idea of networking opportunities or people getting to see everybody across the NBA. I mean, where that really happens, Scott, and you and I know it well, is out in Vegas at Summer League. Like that that is the only real equivalent on the NBA's calendar in the off season that mimics the combine at all from a coverage standpoint, because everybody kind of files into Vegas because yeah, it's Vegas and it's basketball and it's, you know, just a, a great time to just enjoy the picks after they've been selected. Whereas with the combine to an extent on the NFL side, that's the closest thing where those two leagues cross, but it is weird and very jarring. The difference between the coverage that you see and the hype you see around both Entirely. combines, most of that is, again, NFL is king. We're getting hyped about the schedule. Insert that comment Speak here. Speak for yourself. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it is very jarring, but it's another point in the NFL's favor of why they have become and are the dominant sport in this country. Yeah, there's not a ton of pulse and massive intrigue. And a lot of it, I think, is due to the lack of fan engagement as well. Like it is, it's, it's a much more coaches business 
setup at the NBA Combine than it is what you feel here at the NFL Combine. And to that point, and I like this, even though it's not my bottom line being impacted, there's no fans at the NBA Draft Combine. There aren't seats being sold. It's a much more private, intimate feel, whereas now the NFL, it very much feels like it's a public spectacle. Now, I will say from the NBA side, they have Summer League. And, and that's fantastic. And those, they're selling seats up to like 20000 right, at Thomas and Mac. You and I both are there, I think, every year. Right. And that's awesome. NBA side, the only people had been allowed were team executives and media. Now there's, I believe, starting this year, allowing agents to sit in on the draft combine and watch that. Otherwise, they had to be outside and were unable to watch and kind of waited for their clients' hotel lobby or arena lobby. But it's a very critical point. For these players, mostly for the measurements, for those guys that are non-lottery selections, this is a chance for them to make a jump. And here's a perfect example um, to bring it back local. Andrew Nimhart was not 100%, was not feeling good. I believe he missed out uh, or could have missed out. I want to say it was a leg or a hamstring knee injury type. Shouldn't probably should have been overly cautious and not played. He's a competitor, wanted to play, showed out and did really, really well. The next day was scheduled, uh, or I guess the, a few days later, was scheduled to come work out for the Pacers. Pacers get a lot of uh, players right after because it's regional. They can make the three-hour drive or a quick-hour flight. Anyways, uh, you know, Nimhard came to Indianapolis, really showed out, continued to impress the Pacers, and what did they do? They used their first pick of the second round on Nimhard. Was not surprisingly named to an all-rookie team, but clearly was one of the top 10, 15 rookies of his draft class. That helped him. The Local ties of players that will be there. Trace Jackson Davis, kind of obvious, but he'll be there. Uh, was invited last year, came down with COVID, was unable to make it. I'll never forget Mike Woodson being there in Chicago, ready to see Trace Jackson, meet with him. Trace texts him, yeah, I'm not there. I got COVID. Can you meet me in Indy, I think, two days later or whatever, uh, or whenever he got over COVID, and that's when he made it his decision after talking with Woody that, you know what, he's going to come back for a fourth year. Jalen hood Shavino, possible lottery pick. He will be there. And Zach Eady, who I think seems to be on the fence, but more than likely will return, he could make an impression, especially as a, a talented center. You look at the last, what, three MVPs, all big guys, Giving guys like Giannis are just freaks in itself. Right. But Giannis, Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid, there's a little bit of a return of the big man, especially when you're talking elite status. Can Zach Eady impress with his interviews and meeting with teams? I forget the exact numbers. I want to say teams can talk with 30 players, up to 30 players. I want to say for about a half an hour over these three days, they can meet with guys. That's another opportunity to get in front of teams, get feedback both ways. If you're a Purdue fan and you're a selfish Purdue fan in this scenario, <laughs> you're hoping this doesn't go well. Because to your point about it being a proving ground, if Zach Eady balls out and impresses to a point that where the conversations he's having gives him the feel that, hey, you could be taken in the second round or you could be, be taken somewhere and there you're going to get drafted, that changes the temptation level there, right? And... Of course, you'd think that anybody are going to be very happy for the player and the former Boilermaker if he does end up making it to the NBA. But this is a real crossroads moment for him, how this combine goes now that he has the invite and he has an opportunity to impress 
on that stage in Chicago. So after next week, it's a pressure-packed week for most mm-hmm. of the guys. Then after that, you'll see guys go on visits to different teams, what's called pre-draft workouts. The Pacers will probably host eight to ten of them, six guys in each. I would like to see Edie go through several of those as well. I think in many cases those are more important than the draft combine, especially to the older guys. Jalen hood Shafino needs the draft combine to get his measurables and visit with teams. I think Trace Jackson Davis, Zach Eady could really impress in the three-on-three and such. We're going to take a break here as you're listening to the Fan Midday Show. More NFL schedule release talk. Draft combine, draft lottery. I do want to get into the Mad Ants, the Noblesville stuff. We did not have time for that yesterday. I think that's a significant story, especially here being in the offseason, what it means for Pacers Sports and Entertainment, future Pacers, aspiring NBA guys who are just looking for a call-up, and a lot more. With Jimmy Cook, I'm Scott Agnes. You're listening to the Fan Midday Show on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Welcome back into the Fan Midday Show with Jimmy Cook. I'm Scott Agnes. Jimmy, during the break, you discovered another date for the NFL schedule as it continues to trickle out. The NFL is just brilliant in gaining attention for something that's going to be announced anyway. Go ahead. Yeah, so uh, NFL schedule leak <laughs> here reported at My Sports Update. The Jets will return to Sunday Night Football for the first time since 2011. Mm. That'll be week four against the Kansas City Chiefs. Game will be at MetLife Stadium. So you got a Rodgers Mahomes primetime matchup. Uh, that, that's never happened, Rodgers and Mahomes. There's always been either an injury or something by both those parties in the rare matchups that they've had when Rodgers in Green Bay. So we talked about whether or not there's enough spice with Lions, Chiefs to open the season. There'll be plenty of that for week four Sunday night football when it's Chiefs Jets. Like I was saying with week one, you know you're going to get viewers. So yeah. you don't need to blow a great game, so to speak. To get some extra hype to it. The eyeballs, the hype is going to be there. By week four, then you're really trying to, you're going to draw in even more. You're, you know, schools back in session for sure. And you're back on your regular schedule and why that matters. It means, you know, your fans, your viewers are no longer on summer vacation and those sorts of things. They are locked in to the NFL schedule. I love that. I'm all for Jets Chiefs early in the season. Hopefully injuries don't prevent that matchup from happening like you said in the past. But among everything you just said, the biggest thing that popped to me is you said the Jets will be on Sunday Night Football for the first time, not in a decade, since 2011. 12 years. For a market like New York, with a fan base like that... You know how bad you have to be? I was just going to say, it's not that surprising. (laughs) Because think back to all the players in the last decade or so. Mark Sanchez? Tim Tebow? What are you working with here? That's why. Yep. You lacked star power, thus you lacked... Rex Ryan, I would throw Rex Ryan in there as the head coach. He made things interesting, for sure. But this is a big deal for them to be back relevant in the market. This is not really a bold take anymore with Rodgers there. And you could sub in the Bengals, you could sub in the Bills, you could sub in the Ravens, I understand. This is a potential AFC Championship game preview in Week 4. I mean, it's what it is. The expectations for New York skyrocket to championship or bust level with Rodgers there. And for the Chiefs, they're defending champions, right? Like that's They are in that class of the most recent big Super Bowl runs we've seen where, yeah, the expectation is to go win another Lombardi trophy. So anytime that matchup possible on the schedule of two potential representatives of the conference in the Super Bowl, you're going to eat it right up. The fact that it's a primetime game as expected, Sunday night football. Yeah, I, I can't wait. That'll be a very fun matchup. 
It also begs the question, though, we were kind of discussing this before the break, and I'm sure we'll dive into this a little bit later as well, but the Packers, Eddie had seen or projected potentially get five primetime games. You figure Kansas City will be right around five, if not more. How many the max the is six, right? Yeah, the cap, I believe the cap is six. That's I double check that, but that's, that's the cap in terms of to start the season, right? You can obviously be flexed when they Down the road. have those rules in place after what, yeah, week 11. Yeah, Kansas City has Detroit, and then they have the Jets now, and then Green Bay is another one of theirs. Nope. Uh, am I forgetting one? I've, Not that I've like seen at this point. I, I would assume think. the Chargers would have one at prime time against Kansas City, and then you'd have to expect another one in there somewhere. Yep. You look at the Colts roster, and there's a number of them that you could see as potential candidates here, I think, right away. First of all, the one that jumps out is Carolina. What if that's like a week 10, for example? So you give both young quarterbacks, right. Anthony Richardson and Bryce Young, time to be established to make sure Anthony Richardson's in the starting lineup. That Honestly, that might be a perfect like Thursday night battle. Probably doesn't warrant a Sunday night or Monday night football, but I could see that being the spotlight game on a Thursday. The other avenues for them, it, to a lot of this – and I guess the schedule makers can't really map this out, but the Bengals could potentially yeah. be a candidate if you're looking for maybe a, a primetime game that's thrown in there. Jacksonville, as a division winner, you would think probably gets a handful of primetime games this year. If you're looking for a South matchup, I guess you could make the argument any of the other teams in the South would be as Houston deserving. Houston with C.J. Stroud, but at the yep. same time, and D'Amico Ryan's taking over as head coach, the reality is Houston's not good. It doesn't seem like they're going to be good. Again next year, we'll have a good draft pick and go from there. That I could see a Ravens Colts Sunday night game that just that just feels like something you'd read on the schedule. Be like, oh, okay, we're doing that at Baltimore. Nice. All right. Yeah, and with Houston, with that too, I just don't see that one happening. I don't think that warrants it. And what I've heard too is not every team anymore for the first time does not have to get a primetime game. That was the that was part of the formula in the past. Not so much anymore. But I think those, I think we can agree, are probably the most likely candidates. I'll take that number at two. I'll take Carolina and Cincinnati for primetime games for the Colts. I'll go over. You're going over I'll two. Say, I'll, I think they get I think they get at least or no, three. two and a half. You got to make yeah, it two and yeah, a half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll take the under. I'll take the, okay. Eddie? I said two, and my two were Houston and Carolina. So you're going all in on the quarterback story. Yep. We know the NFL quarterbacks are king, and that rules the land. Plus, she so. wanted it to be somewhat of a decent matchup. Like, no offense to Cincinnati. Like, Cincinnati should boat race the Colts. No in, offense. To, in theory. Yeah. No offense in, in this one. But yeah. you want stars. You want to showcase yeah. stars. I guess it also then more so, too, might depend on what Cincinnati's schedule looks like. Do they want to burn, quote-unquote, a nationally televised game against a team that's clearly – Rebuilding a little bit, retooling, whatever phrase you, you can say, say. Inferior, to. it's fine. You can we go that strong. It is. That's that's the case. Like Eddie's right. There's not a a bone in either of our bodies that should say, yeah, you know, I think the Colts could win that game. But then again, some people felt the same way about the Kansas City matchup last year with arguably worst quarterback under center. And, and that's that turned out. That Cincinnati game, by the way, will be in Cincinnati, so that makes it even more difficult uh, and more difficult elements and all. Eddie that. will be there. We'll learn all about this. In totality, tonight, 8 p.m., when the NFL finally drops the piece of paper with all the games and the full schedules and such uh, to every website near you. <laughs> Let's take a break as we approach the 1 o'clock hour here on the Fan Midday Show. A lot more Colts talk, NBA Finals, what we should 
think about the upcoming Pacers. By the way, what are the Pacers? Why are there about 10 players in town? I can tell you that and a lot more on the other side as you're listening to the Fan Midday Show on 93.5-1075 The Fan. 102 in the afternoon. This is the Fan Midday Show. Appreciate you joining us. Whichever medium fits you best, YouTube, over the airwaves, or streaming. We got you covered here throughout. Eddie Garrison producing with Jimmy Cook. I'm Scott Agnes, and let's go right to the phone lines. Our first guest is Evan Sidery of Forbes, Forbes.com, covering the NBA, specifically the Suns. And they're up next tonight playing at 10 p.m. Eastern time. If your sleep schedule allows you to stay up. Denver at Phoenix tonight. Evan, thanks for joining us here this afternoon. What's thus far piqued your interest most about this series and and thus far the Nuggets leading 3-2? Scott and Jimmy, first of all, thanks for the invite, guys. Really appreciate it. But looking at the, the series for Phoenix, I mean, obviously do or die tonight for game six in Phoenix. I like the Suns to win this game tonight, but eventually I think the Nuggets will win this series in seven. Just the lack of depth around this team for the Suns right now after the Kevin Durant trade, trading three of your top six players in that deal, Jay Crowder, who didn't play all year, of course, until he got to Milwaukee, but Mikhail Bruce and Cam Johnson, I think those two got loom large with their lack of wing depth. But overall, I mean, this has been a very fun back-and-forth series. Kind of my ex- expectations so far were the Suns. We're probably going to be in a very long, tough series with Denver, so it's been great so far. I mean, Three superstars, Nikola Jokic, Kevin Durant, and Devin Booker really showing why they are that. Evan, if you're looking at the Suns offseason for a second, again, I know they're not fully laid to rest at this point, but when you look at how they can better build around what they're trying to do with Booker and KD, obviously giving up a ton within that trade to go get him during the season, why isn't it working right now? What's missing in your mind from the depth they gave up to why Kevin Durant being the superstar that he is, albeit getting older, can't make up that gap? Yeah, it's such a convoluted question to me just because this team should have been very good. But obviously the big health questions around this team with two players and Chris Paul and Kevin Durant, who notoriously not been able to play 100% of the games the last couple of years. We see it already throughout this series. Chris Paul hurting his groin, now going to be out the rest of the series as well. He'll be age 39 next postseason if he does stay with Phoenix. I think another big issue is DeAndre. And, and I think for Pacers fans out there, <laughs> yeah. I think they dropped a serious, serious bullet last year when the Suns decided to match that offer sheet because he has not played close to a max player. If anything, he has regressed the last couple of years, especially defensively this season. It has not been pretty for the Phoenix Suns defensively after trading away McKill Brewers and Cam Johnson. There was a lot of pressure on DeAndre Ayton to be a great rim protector. He's been subpar, to say the least, at that. So he's, he's a player to me that just he has so much untapped potential, but he never has realized it. I don't know if it's been a coaching issue. I don't know if it's more on him or not. But I, looking back at what happened last summer and looking at the Suns now with DeAndre Ayton, they might have to attach an asset or two, and they're very they're running very low on assets to begin with now after trading away all their first-round picks for 2029 for Kevin Durant. So they're in a really tough spot here with an older point guard in Chris Paul and underperforming max contract player in DeAndre Ayton. They're kind of at a crossroads here where they might have to really retool on the fly. It might not be the best results. You know how I see DeAndre Ayton is exactly the type of player the Pacers 
like to go after even now. It's the guy that's underwhelming in his current role that maybe doesn't fit in. Maybe there's some distress, some uncomfortable uh, feelings, clearly, between DeAndre Ayton and Monty Williams, which is weird because Monty Williams is among the most likable guys in the league. But uh, we're joined with Evan Sidery of Forbes. But to me, Evan, to go back on Ayton, before we can evaluate you know, they could have deal for the Pacers last offseason if the Suns did not match. I think I want to see DeAndre in a different situation because right now it almost feels like maybe he's just bottled up and, and uncomfortable and just needs to be kind of set free and they wash their hands of and move on this offseason. Yeah, I think that's the best situation for both parties here. I don't know exactly where DeAndre could, could land, though. That's the big thing. Nowadays in the NBA, unless you're a Joel Embiid, a Giannis, a Nikola Jokic, yeah. you can be dominant, simply put, superstar level. Who wants to pay a center $35 million a year? That's the big question to me. Like I mentioned, you might have to attach an asset to even get off his contract. But I do agree, Scott. Like, if he could go somewhere and be a 20-10 and 10 type of player – on better efficiency, I mean, that could definitely be in the courts for him. But covering Aiton throughout most of his career before I came back to Indiana, his main issue throughout his career was his motor, his energy level. And that's what is concerning to me where his aggressiveness and his energy level just is so inconsistent that you can't trust him on a night-to-night basis. And for a guy making that amount of money, that's just you can't have that on your team. And just to counter, I mean, if you want to, Scott, I mean, do you think the pace at all, like, do you think they would explore – DeAndre Ayton again at the at the Suns circle back around and offer him for a lower price. I think you listen to something. I don't think it's something you're actively pursuing. Um, and all that. And the point I was going to make is this is exactly why the deal they were able to negotiate with Miles made a ton of sense because yeah. right now they want to continue on with that partnership. It's twenty million basically, on average, over the next two years. That's very feasible, both to continue on, but if you did get down the road, or maybe there was that wing asset that they've been after for five or seven years here, maybe you do have to include something like that. A team paying Miles $20 million, not bad at all. Incredible value. Miles at $30, $35 million, very difficult. And I, I, I think that would, one, make him untradeable for many teams that couldn't acquire him, but two they would have to go outside their means. So the point here is, whatever the case with Miles, very good contract, and that's why the Pacers were so smart to use that that new renegotiation window to make a deal that makes sense for both sides, Evan. Yeah, 100%. I mean, just looking at the way that Tyrese Halliburton and Miles Turner played this year, we saw how important it is for him to space the floor and have that gravity on offense. And you showed a career-best year alongside Tyrese. That's another thing with DeAndre, and I guess the negative category over five years, he's never improved his offensive game. It's been the exact same offense throughout his career. He hasn't expanded his three-point range. He's been even more inconsistent mid-range. So, I mean, when you look at the stylistic fit, to be honest, a year later, I would have a year a year ago, I would have said DeAndre is a better fit next to Tyrese Halliburton. But now, a year later, I think it's pretty clearly that Miles Turner is the better fit and maybe even the better player. Yeah, and to clarify this statement on the front end, Demontis Sabonis, a far superior offensive player than DeAndre Ayton is or probably mm-hmm. ever will be. Absolutely. But I'm not trying to go back down that rabbit hole of, oh, let's play two bigs out there and hope it turns into <laughs> something special when you have a, a lesser offensive player like DeAndre Ayton. Yeah, I'm good. I don't need to answer that call. <laughs> Evan, I want to pivot for a second towards uh, the other series out west with Golden State in L.A. We talked about this yesterday. I, I saw the blowout coming. Scott and Eddie saw the blowout coming. Felt comfortable laying the seven and a half. That's an, obviously ended up going away with that. 
but I still felt like yesterday, okay, it's fine. LA's going back for game six and they'll take care of business. Maybe it's just this team. Maybe it's being used to the Warriors always delivering and, and, and never folding in the Western Conference. That has shifted me now to where I wouldn't be surprised at all if Golden State takes this in seven. Where is your tone at all shifted on this series? And how do you think things work out uh, tomorrow night out in L.A.? I haven't changed my tone just yet. I, I thought Lakers in six at the beginning of this series. I still think they close it out tomorrow night in L.A. But like you mentioned, just the, the overall concern with L.A. is obviously Anthony Davis is healthy. took a nasty elbow to the head last night. So you hope he's okay. It sounds like he will play tomorrow night for them. But if he's not 100% or if LeBron James has been battling his foot injury all, all series long, all postseason long, if he's not 100%, if he can't beat LeBron that we know, if they go in and steal that game tomorrow in L.A., I mean, I would definitely take the Warriors on their home court in Game 7. So that's obviously winner going situation tomorrow. I would still lean Lakers in that spot. But, I mean, those demons, if, if they exercise those demons in L.A., the Warriors do and win that game, going back to Game 7, all the pressure is going to be on the Lakers at that point, which is a big, big shift in the series. Does that change your thought on the state of the Western Conference? for who's getting out of the West, because we talked about this earlier in the week as well. For me, if it's a Golden State win in seven, you might as well circle them in to be the Western Conference representative uh, for the finals, in my mind. So for me, I've been on this train uh, for the last week or so, and I've kind of shifted a little bit who I predicted. I I thought the winner of Suns versus Nuggets would eventually win the Western Conference finals and represent the West in the finals there. I do think that the Nuggets will win this series in seven games. So I would actually lean toward Denver against the Lakers or Golden State in that series. Just the way Nikola Jokic is playing right now. Every single postseason, he gets better and better. He's about 32 points, 13 rebounds, and almost 10 assists per game. He's the first guy since Will Chamberlain in 1972 to put those numbers in a postseason. So he's put up historically dominant numbers. And I just have no clue how, like an Anthony Davis or they're even like Kavon Looney or Draymond Green have any chance against Nicole Jokic for a seven-game series. Talking with Evan Sidery of Forbes, yeah, that, that's why, again, to me, Jokic would have been my MVP. He would have been a three-time MVP. I just think he's been statistically amazing. Nuggets have been right there atop the Western Conference throughout the season, and right now I would say they're the favorites to win it all here. And um, With this Warriors team, in the in this other series, it just seems, Evan, to me, like there's way too much reliant on Steph and not nearly enough that they can count on game in and game out from really anybody else. Draymond, when the when a big moment happens, he usually delivers. But right now, Clay hasn't been what he has. Jordan Poole, all right, he dropped 11 one night. You maybe get a. An, uh, and contribution from another role player different night. To me, they need more of known commodities right now, and it's just Steph, and then we'll see. Yeah, it's crazy to say, but I, I don't know about you guys, but I truly believe Kavon Looney's been their second-best player in the postseason behind Stephen Curry for the Warriors, which yeah. isn't saying a lot about how good Clay and Draymond Green have been in the, in the playoffs so far. I think some younger guys, too, like you mentioned, Scott, Jordan Poole have been really bad in the postseason so far. Very streaky, very inconsistent there. He needs to be better for the Warriors, too. And I do wonder about some younger guys as well. I know they treated James Wiseman at the deadline, but Jonathan Kuminga was a big part of their run last year. He's out of the rotation entirely. He was a great defender for him last year. He's, he's not able to play right now. I don't know why. I don't know why Steve Kerr is taking him out of there because he fits a lot of what they're missing as far as versatility in their lineup right now. But Moses Moody, too, he really has kind of entered the rotation lately, been a good scorer as well. 
So it's actually a lot of pressure on like Clay Thompson to be the old vintage Clay Thompson for him to put off its production. And also these young guys in Poole, Moody, Kaminga, if he ever enters the rotation as well. It's kind of a, a roster for Golden State where if they do lose tonight or tomorrow night or if they lose overall in this postseason, I do think we see significant changes to that roster. It feels like the dynasty is kind of coming to an end here. Yeah, you bring up the the – the extras in this, the contributors here. And Jamichael Green, for example, goes from starting in game two to do not play last game. Like it, it, They're searching for something. It's Gary Payton, the, the second starting. And then, you know, Wiggins has a decent game. I don't know. There's something clearly missing from this team, one of it, which is being a reliable Clay Thompson anymore. And then to your last point, Evan, I, I think – that's the scary part is if they do lose here, what's next? And it all starts with the decision with general manager Bob Myers. His contract's up. A lot of rumors and whispers about what he might want to do. Does he go elsewhere and try to also make a name for himself? But more than anything, he needs to be paid like the top executive, at least he believes. And so I think that's probably the first question that has to be answered from the Warriors' standpoint. Yeah, certainly so. He would definitely be the top free agent as far as executives go and really change any team he would go to if it's not Golden State. I have to imagine, though, that Joe Lake will pay up and pay Bob Myers whatever he wants because the architect of that dynasty, you can't just let him walk out the door there. And I think if they do keep Bob Myers around, I think the guy that's on the odd, the odd man out list here is probably Draymond Green. He has a player option this upcoming year. I do wonder if he'll accept that or not. I don't know if he'll get a big offer in free agency. There's not a lot of teams out there. They'll probably give him 30-plus million dollars a year at this point of his career. I, I do think maybe he's the guy, if, if he accepts that player option, you shop him around, try to get some more flexibility in there. This is just me spitballing. We were just talking about one guy earlier, maybe DeAndre Ayton for like a Draymond Green type of swap for those guys. I mean, they, I think both guys are fit, a need for that team there. But I do think someone like, something like that, for example, Draymond Green getting flipped for another player, I think that could probably be the most realistic option for him. Evan Sattery with us. Covers the NBA for Forbes. Evan, we have talked about throughout these playoffs that the pace that Devin Booker has been on feels unsustainable, and you kind of saw that at times the other night. I use that as a comparison to what's happening out east, and I ask you this. Is what Tyrese Maxey, Joel Embiid, and James Harden have done during this series against Boston, is that level of play and dominance sustainable? Because when you look at the roster – there's a strong argument to be made that if they really do want to capture their first title in 40 years, they're going to need that. Yeah, 100%. I think you need this type of dominance from Joel and beat every single night at this point. Three straight games of 30-plus points. I think he'll get that again tonight in Game 6 for Philadelphia. Tyrese Maxey, too, and James Harden, the more they play together, the more I like the result. Just James Harden can take more. He can save his energy offensively. I mean, we know he's not a great defender, but he saves his energy offensively with Max when he gets hot. Obviously, Joel and B take some possessions off, too, for him where he can conserve that energy. This is a great spot for James Harden to finally kind of have his moment, in my opinion, where he could potentially be in the finals going against whoever it may be and getting his first ring. It just feels like it's kind of the Sixers, Embiid, and Harden's kind of year to me. And my finals prediction is going to be Sixers versus Nuggets just because those two teams just feel like on a collision course the last couple of weeks, really the last two or three years, it's been Jokic or Embiid, who's the best player in the NBA for many people. And to kind of have um, poetic justice, really, at the end of that, to have Jokic or Embiid mm-hmm. for each guy's first NBA finals, that, that would just be incredible theater.
That's exactly where my head went first is, all right, now we get more Jokic and Embiid talk as if we hadn't exhausted that conversation throughout the year. Uh, That would make for some interesting chatter, to be sure. And and last thing on that series, Boston, I mean, we had Tim Bontemps on the show yesterday. He didn't really pinpoint uh, Joe Mazzulla with the Celtics as a reason why, you know, they're faltering right now against the 76ers. I, de- I beg to differ there. I think there's situations where they've looked unprepared. They haven't used the timeouts. They've fouled lineups. I'm, you know, Derek White should be finishing games. I, I'm kind of over Marcus Smart. What have you made from Boston, the Boston Celtics right now, Evan? Because more than anything, they've been an utter disappointment, second below the Milwaukee Bucks, who are now already gone. Yeah, it's certainly so, and – I've been thinking to myself watching this series because we've all kind of known Doc Rivers to not be a tactical coach. He's been sort of on the bottom tier of X's and O's series adjustments. And I've been thinking to myself, Doc Rivers has kind of been winning the coaching battle throughout this series, which is not a good sign for the Celtics and Joe Missoula. So I certainly agree with you there. I think Doc Rivers uh, has been better than Joe Missoula as far as tactical stuff, X's and O's. And the Celtics, I think, are in a spot where they can't let Missoula go, of course, for one year. He's led them to the best record in the NBA. But to now see the disappointment in the postseason, if they do indeed lose tonight or lose a series overall, I think there will be a shakeup there in Boston. And I know I was listening to the morning show with Tevin and Jake this morning. They were talking about it a little bit. But Jalen Brown, I mean, he might be the guy on, on the outs there where if he doesn't want to play second fiddle with Jason Tatum anymore, he's now eligible for a $280-plus million extension, making the All-NBA team. He might be the guy to watch out for here this summer as being the one big trade chip if he indeed does want to get out of there. You mentioned the All-NBA teams, Evan Sattery of Forbes joining us. Those just coming out yesterday. Your overall takeaways from that? I mean, I know there's ultimately going to be heat from fan bases across the board and they feel like players are snubbed, but just from what you saw from those All-NBA team announcements yesterday? Not really surprised. Uh, to be honest, I know some people would say Devin Booker and Phoenix should have got it. John Morant should have gotten it in Memphis. But I think both the players, uh, compared to the others that made it, I think the controversial ones, I think Demonis Sabonis, former Pacers, certainly deserved to make his first All-NBA team with the way he played this year. He, him and De'Aaron Fox both made the All-NBA third team for the Kings, a historic year for Sacramento. So I have no issues with that there. I think just looking back optics-wise, I think it's kind of going to be funny to look back on in three or four years and say Nikola Jokic the season he had was second-team All-NBA. I just think at this point you should get rid of positions and have those guys be both Embiid, Giannis, and Jokic on the first team because they're the three best players in the NBA this year. But really, not, outside of that, semantics-wise, nothing really that stood out to me as far as, oh, he should have definitely been on or definitely should have been off. Because, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but this kind of feels like to me the modern NBA, we're kind of entering a golden age of talent where there's 20, 30 legit guys in this league where – you can make an argument to be on an All-NBA team each year, which is great to see. Yeah, yeah, I would completely agree there. I probably wouldn't have had SGA in the first team. I mean, the team didn't have much success, <laughs> relatively speaking. He was outstanding. Uh, I probably wouldn't have had Luka on the first team. Um, Giannis, how about him being unanimous, though, for the fifth straight year? Like That shows the level in which he's at. And, and I think maybe the last thing here, Evan, is the interesting thing moving into next year is five of these guys on the this All-NBA wouldn't have qualified because now they're going to have to play at least 65 games. So we got to be prepared for some kind of shakeup even more, be prepared to have a LeBron or Steph not even eligible, which I'm not exactly all in on. I think maybe you leave that up to the voter. I think maybe this going the other way just for a second on that, I just 
looking at recency history with a lot of these players, I think now with the incentive of playing more games, I think it'll be great for fans now because I have a hard time seeing how you'll see guys rest on certain nights just for DNP rest, load management type of stuff. Those guys care about the accolades. They care about making those lists. They care about the extra money they make off of that. So I think for the NBA fans in general, I think you're actually seeing these guys a lot more moving forward here, which is certainly going to help out a lot. Evan, appreciate the time. Thanks as always. Absolutely. Appreciate it, guys. That's Evan Sidery of Forbes covering NBA, specifically the Phoenix Suns. But yeah, this all NBA vote, why it matters more than anything is for history. It's for you to look back. And I think the goal each year should be for that all NBA, which is three teams, five players each, obviously, to kind of encapsulate this, the season that was. That's at least how I would treat it um, and how I did treat it back when I had a vote there. And where it does feel odd, right? When Jokic, who to me was the best player all season, you only have one center per team. And if Embiid's your MVP, he's got to be your first team. Well, that, that is a little wacko. There's also some people on one side of the ledger that are like, this should be a team. They should be able, it shouldn't be five guards, shouldn't be three centers. To me, I almost, I'd be in favor, Jimmy, of it encapsulating the five best players each season. I agree with you on that. The thing that makes me most, I don't want to say perplexed, but most intrigued by these is for some instances, there's impacts on Supermax. There's impact on the way that those contracts are are incentivized or, or designed to be offered based on your success you have with these all-NBA teams, which again is pretty crazy to think about you spend all that time on the court and honing your craft and the ability to be able to maybe retain or offer more or less money can be based off of whether or not you're making one of these all NBA teams so that exclusivity of it combined by the general snubs and anger of oh why didn't my guy make it or why is this guy on there carries the day with these conversations and with that there's no perfect system yeah. But the best one right now that they've settled on is allowing for the media vote to enable these players to be eligible for Supermax. A guy like Demonis Sabonis, for example, would be eligible except he was traded. If he was not traded and he was on an all-NBA team, he would be eligible for the Supermax. Same thing happened with Paul George because he wanted out and was traded to Oklahoma City despite being an all-NBA guy ineligible. And to your point, Jimmy, who this really impacts, it's John Morant. He was not among the 15 players on the All-NBA roster. Part of that, part of me has a difficult time figuring that one out. What, they finished second in the Western Conference? I think they were relevant all season long. But also, some off-the-court considerations. At the same time, should you weigh those when you even consider his on-court product? That's a whole different conversation. But for him, because he was not included, Jimmy, it's not even up to the team. His contract says he's not eligible for a Supermax. Yeah, I mean, it, again, the ramifications beyond that are, are are crazy to me because the whole thought is with the Supermax extension ability that you have when you have those type of terms in an agreement, Memphis is a small market. Like it, it, It's it, supposed it to help them. It, that is a tool that is supposed to be able to correct, retain the player, make it more enticing because you can offer more money than anybody else can bring to the table. And so now that's no longer in the cards for Memphis. Again, I'm not saying this means that Ja would definitely walk, but that's a tool you don't have in your belt anymore. And that's a tough pill to swallow because you're simulating out a couple of things here. But if Ja was to ever leave the Grizzlies, like, yeah, they're back at square one. 
That's their golden goose. It's their franchise player. They believe eventually he's going to be able to bring a title to Memphis. It's tough. It's very tough that it, that's the kind of thin margin that is operated with yeah. with some of these contracts for rookies. There should be more done to incentivize players to to stay locally. And it being tied to awards is sometimes a brutal pill to swallow, and it is right now for Memphis. My favorite vote of the night that we came to learn about yesterday, Jimmy, was Tyrese Halliburton getting an All-NBA vote. Not that he did. He got one at guard. He got one at forward. <laughs> I know they pay, play rather positionless basketball anymore. He's not a, <laughs> a forward. Right. It goes to the point, I think, a day earlier when they announced the all-defensive teams. He got a he got a vote. Even he laughed about that, which I appreciate his his can his candidness, his honesty. He's like, wait, me? Was his was kind of the meme I think he used on Twitter to acknowledge that. You got to be connecting dots there, and the assumption would be that whoever voted for him all defensive team would have had to also have been one of those two all NBA votes, right? Maybe. Like in my mind. And again, there's no there's no harm in it. Like right, like it, it is what it is. It's it's funny, and I appreciate, and that's expect nothing less from Tyrese Halliburton that he kind of steers into that and has for fun sure. with it. But if also that was either by a mistake or done on purpose, not the defensive team vote but being voted in two positions, well, if that's happening across the league, then you might as well just take away the positions and make it a positionless vote. They are next year. So Next year is when it takes into effect that positions are thrown out the window, and it's going to be the five best players for each team. And that's what it should be, yeah, I, agree. I believe. Still waiting for that, that full new collective bargaining agreement that was ratified, agreed upon to be written up and, and released so we have the full details. Much like the NFL schedule, Jimmy, we've seen some notes, some leaks come out from the, the new CBA, including the fact where to uh, to be eligible for some of these awards, like an MVP, like an All-NBA, you have to play at least 65 games. What I heard there, and Eddie, I think you heard it too, if you read between the lines of what Scott just said, he is just as excited about the NBA CBA full release as he is the schedule release. That's why I got oh, my popcorn over here. So I heard. I was going to say, <laughs> I, I smell I popcorn. popcorn. <laughs> I got my popcorn. I literally smelled that. I was like, where is this coming from? <laughs> Who was the guy to pop popcorn in an office? It was Eddie. <laughs> hey, he didn't uh, He didn't burn it, right? He was successful in his mission, and he's able to enjoy some nice popcorn behind the ones and twos. I think you were joking, but in all seriousness, absolutely, I'm way more excited for the new CBA. Oh, I, I could tell. Like entirely like, because I want to read that in detail. Right. Because you don't know exactly what it says. I can tell you what the NFL schedule says. I just don't know the weeks. I can tell you tell you who they play and where. And for ninety percent of the info, that's all that matters. The when matters. The when matters for a number of different reasons. You pointed out one: if you cover the team or if you're wanting to travel to see the team, it matters on that aspect. And then the team might not do this, but if we're trying to map out where the best avenue to stack wins are. It's nice to be able to see that in front of you where they actually are. And more realistic, are they away from their family during the holidays? <laughs> how many Monday night football games? How many Thursday games? How many prime time games? And when's the bye? Those are the first four or five things they're actually looking at. That's compelling. Yeah, I guess. Come on. The other thing, I'll be, last thing here, I think I'll be curious how many of their games are 1 p.m. 
Are they are they back on that 1 p.m. schedule because right now they aren't worthy of those 4 p.m.s or primetime games? This is the Fan Midday Show. It's 128 here in central Indiana with Jimmy Cook. I'm Scott Agnes. A lot more to come. We had Evan Sidery at 1 o'clock. Friend Joe Varden of The Athletic covering the NBA. He joins us at 2. A lot more on the NFL schedule, what's to come. We'll find that out all in more detail at 8 p.m. But on the other side, let's finally get to the conversation I've been wanting to have for a while. The Noblesville Mad Ants. The Noblesville what? Why that was done, why it benefits the franchise, and a lot more here on The Fan Midday Show. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Coming up at 2 o'clock, we'll be joined by Joe Varden of The Athletic to talk more NBA postseason and a little bit of Pacers as well. This is The Fan Midday Show, and earlier this week, surprising news only because of how soon it happened with Pacers Sports and Entertainment announcing that the Mad Ants would no longer be part of Fort Wayne. They had been there since 2007. Herb Simon of the Pacers bought the team in 2015, coming off of back-to-back finals appearances. It started to become more about development, and to even more that point, now for the third straight, or now indefinitely I should say, the team will train out of the St. Vincent Center, live right across the street, have all the same access as the Pacers. But now they will have a brand new arena. Really fascinating story here, at least to me. Maybe this fascinates me, Jimmy, like the NFL schedule fascinates you. But the city of Noblesville is putting up $36.5 million on a brand new site here. Brand new building. It'll be 3,400 seats. This was announced on Monday. It received approval by the city county council up in noblesville on tuesday so now we know for certain that it'll be happening construction to begin on uh, this fall hopeful for completion i think it sounds like december january ish of 2025 i guess that would be in january kind of middle of the season or or whatever it sounds like but ultimately what it comes down to here is one the team's going to be renamed we know for certain that it's going to be noblesville something so it's going to have a new uh, first identifier, no longer Fort Wayne. And you can't, since you're no longer in Fort Wayne, you can't be the Mad Ants. That was named after uh, Anthony um, up in Fort Wayne. So my guess is here, Jimmy, they'll go the route of many teams we've seen before them. Well, you see just Noblesville's Pacers. But your thoughts on Pacers making this come to fruition? And to me, they struck a great deal, got a good deal on Noblesville. This interests me on a number of different levels. The primary one, though, is for years, years, I've been hearing rumblings both nationally and locally. The Pacers wanted to take the step that a handful of other either brand new G League teams or purchased G League teams have done, which is get them as close to the actual NBA facility as possible. And then you go year by year, it never happens, and it's like, okay, maybe they are just going to keep it up in Fort Wayne. Uh, I thought, or at least that you know, people I talked to this is a couple years ago might be in the Westfield area, might might be, and that's stone's throw, right? Like the everybody was right on the region; it was going to be north side, All within of a ten mile yeah. radius. So, so, right? so, so we're we're really splitting hairs in that regard. But no, this is the way of the future for this, whatever you want to call it, minor league element development platform that NBA teams have you're seeing now starting next year all but one is going to have that one-to-one as in direct exclusively yours G League team which like you see with the direct two MLB franchise that you have when you're taking from minor league teams in baseball so the stat that NBA always throws around and it continues to grow year over year this is from 
the NBA's press release, 54% of NBA players have G League experience to their name. This is a tool. We're not saying it's guaranteed as a, a superstar development tool by any means, but it is a tool both for whether it's rehab assignments, whether it's taking flyers on young players on two-way deals. It is imperative to have this a part of your nucleus as an NBA franchise today. While I hate seeing teams move because I know there is people in Fort, there are people in Fort Wayne rather that did enjoy the Mad Ants that have a tradition and legacy there of having them absolutely uh, w- with the tin caps and, and being able to dominate that sector of minor league sports and the it, what comets the hockey right the team Fort Wayne as comets, well. right yes, sir so you you hate to see it in that aspect but it was an inevitable change I'm with you though I am surprised that it happened as abruptly as it did in terms of their departure, like they're playing all their games next year in Gamebridge. Mm-hmm. There's no send-off season in Fort Wayne. I know that's just semantics and, and feel-good story aspects of it, but this was inevitable. Great deal for the Pacers, like you mentioned, from the economic side of things and Noblesville poning up for the entirety of that. They said also in the statement they're going to find more ways than just Pacers to utilize it, whether it's for IHSAA events or, or whatever on off days. So it will be a multi-purpose facility. I'm happy this finally got done. Yeah, 3,400 seats. I think what you'll see here is smaller concerts they're going to look into. I mean, you got it's just north of Ruoff Home Mortgage Center, Music Center, which is 26,000. So two very different audiences you're talking about here. I think you could have high school graduations, AAU tournaments. I mean, now there's a huge sector right there between Grand Park and this building, maybe even go south to that new Fishers building that's going to go up. That's part of the reason why you kind of – I don't know, laughed at it initially. It's like, do we need another building? You got the Indy 11 building supposedly coming downtown, right? Like all these new event areas. And the city of Noblesville saying this will not impact local taxes. This is coming out of, it'll be run. Pacers contributing an average of $500,000 per year. I'm looking at the numbers here. Uh, officially, in the first year, they have to give $1.25 million once the venue opens and then reduces from there on out the city of noblesville takes the first five hundred thousand dollars of net revenue it's basically noblesville's building that the pacers and and the, their g league team are able to use for all home games they'll practice at the saint vincent center that's their true home this will just be their they're a venue for home games the pacers get a hundred percent of ticket sales team sponsorships uh, merchandise. The city gets all concessions, which I think is different than the Colts deal, I believe. I believe the Colts get all of that versus the city. Um, the city gets all of the parking revenue. Um, that's the gist of it. And as part of that as well, the team will have Noblesville in the name, which if you're Noblesville, it makes sense. And I think the Pacers were totally on board with that, given what Noblesville is willing to pony up here and, and contribute so that the this G League team for the Pacers has an incredible facility to utilize, but you raised a great point. Look, you're here for 30 games, and that's it out of 365 days. So how else can you utilize it and thus get the utilization and profit up to where this makes sense for Noblesville without having to impact taxes? And I think they'll find ways to do that in the long term. The AAU tournament angle is a great idea because at that point, you're looking at different ways to be able to make really that north to, to northeast side when you incorporate Fishers, when you incorporate Westfield, when you incorporate Noblesville, it, it continues to grow in terms of the facilities that are there for events like that. Ultimately, though, it comes down to what we mentioned earlier, which is the convenience factor 
for the franchise, particularly when you're adding another two-way contract at the disposal of of teams to operate with. Not to say that what an hour or an hour and twenty drive is is, is the end of the world. Two hours. Two hours. Okay, see that's how that shows you how many times and if I've you're made on that a journey. So and if one of your assistant coaches, which is the truth, is driving you in the team mini bus. It's probably a little longer because it's a bus versus you and I driving. It's 215 probably. Again, not that big of deal. Not like I think it's Miami that has to fly with a stop to Sioux Falls. The fact that they're still in Sioux Falls is crazy to me. Right, because most of these franchises, as you alluded to, are are having it where their G League franchise is 20, 30 minutes away. Absolutely. I love the analogies uh, that Rick Carlisle likes to use, and he often goes out of his golf bag. He's like, yeah, that's a driver away. <laughs> you know, it's like switching from your driver to your 9 iron, nine, whatever. But this is really interesting, and, and the other part to it is the G League, how you're trying to utilize it, I think it's really changed for them over the last decade since they took ownership. This was a really good team. getting Winning, I think, in 2014. They lost in the finals, I want to say, in 2015. Then it really became about development. I think Chris Taylor, the general manager, has done a really good job about that, but they've had a lot of injuries. Um, and you try to have that that synergy between the two, and I can tell you the best part about this for both Pacer executives and the players is it means whenever they practice, whenever the guys are working out, whenever they're in the weight room, they can see them. They can get eyes on them. So they have a constant view of these younger guys, development guys. Maybe it's their young draft picks. It does also mean, for example, is let's say a guy like Kendall Brown, who was on a two-way contract last year, he signs again for another two-way contract. He could be playing in a G League game or practicing, let's say, with the team in the afternoon and at least be eligible or on the bench for the Pacers game then at night at Gamebridge Fieldhouse, allowing him to get the full experience. And I know that also really matters to agents when they're considering each situation to where to send their players. You can't afford, with that on-the-margins aspect of how you're utilizing a G League franchise, convenience is, again, I'm going to use that word, is the best way to describe it because it helps your ability to adjust throughout the course of the season. It's another selling point like you just mentioned from a a, a rookie perspective or a free agent perspective. And overall, yeah, from from the fan perspective too. Like it gives you an opportunity now if you're a local Pacers fan, it's a very quick drive to go see what's happening with the team name to be given <laughs> the later. Noblesville somethings yes. and then go see what the Pacers are doing at Cambridge. So I I'm I'm here for it. It was inevitable. Yep. And for the Pacers on their side, yeah, pretty as good as you could ask for a deal with how that thing is set and up. And why they all saw it coming, it is disappointing, certainly, for the the great yeah. fans in Fort Wayne. and Second largest city, right, in the state. And they've really been a capital for minor league sports. And even their mayor, uh, Tom Henry, putting out a statement a couple days ago, I'm disappointed that the Mad Ants will be leaving Fort Wayne after 16 years in our city. I want residents and visitors to know that Fort Wayne remains an outstanding and award-winning minor league sports city. We anticipate there will be interest from other entities looking to have professional basketball presence in our community. What would that be now, though? I know maybe you just have to say that, but I think there's a still a CBA going on. Yeah. I don't know. I, if you don't have the G League, you don't really have a relevant minor league program. Maybe, honestly, I'd love to see them host like a TBT or some games up there. So maybe it wouldn't be a season, but it might be a couple weekends of games. Talking about you know the summer, the basketball tournament, where there at least it was a million dollar prize. I'm sure that's gone up because of inflation here. <laughs> sure, exactly. Yeah, I mean, gotta there'll, ask there'll, be, there'll, there'll be avenues there for certain 
but that is the part where you're like, yeah, that that really stinks for for Fort Wayne. I will say, and I don't have the attendance numbers there, but just using the entirety of the G League as an example, yeah, when a team's really really good, you're gonna get local interest. You go watch almost anywhere in the country a G League game on a Tuesday night. You're you're not. It looks like a, a for for lack of a better term, it looks like a a lower level, like very lower level. Division one or Division two basketball game. It looks like a Cincinnati Reds baseball game. There you go, Eddie. Oh no, that works. (laughs) But that's also where then it's incumbent now on the Pacers franchise to market this team because before they kind of left it alone. I bet most fans and our audience listening right now had no idea that the Mad Ants played a portion of their schedule at the Fieldhouse this year. They technically could have attended. I believe they did sell single-game tickets. They didn't market it. They didn't try to get people there. Mostly, and it's my understanding, because it would have cost more for security and you know all that stuff than the number of fans that might have shown up. So it truly was friends and family for the last two seasons when they played, I think, about eight home games at Gainbridge Fieldhouse. Now this next season, they'll play the entirety of their schedule because the this venue that we're talking about hadn't even started construction. But having it in a 3,400-seat venue makes all the sense in the world to me because you could really light that place up if that place gets full, even if 2,000, yes. 2,500. And it's a little lower than I think you'd want it to be. I almost wonder, and this is just me speculating, to be clear, would you want the Fever to play up there? I think it's it, – here's why I bring that up is we're seeing a lot of other programs, what the Washington Wizards and the Washington Mystics come to mind. Mystics don't play in the Wizards arena. They play in a secondary one, and when they play there, it's also the same venue as the uh, Capital City Go-Go because the Mad Ants played them during the postseason. I wonder if that would be feasible and more interesting. I think in a perfect world, you're selling more than 5,000 season tickets, 3,000 season tickets for the Fever. Totally different conversation. Maybe you strike when the team is relevant and winning once again. Just something I was thinking for two or three years down the road. Yeah, I don't hate the idea, but I'm with the second half of what you said more than the first, which is that with where they're at and where they hope they are as a franchise, again, we talk about a team potentially being out of the lottery next year. The Fever obviously looking for for a big leap for themselves this year. You would hope with this new core that by the time you would even consider that, by the time that's built, you are reaching a higher apex of season tickets or in-game tickets sold than the 3400 mark that building can hold. Last thing on this front, the one thing I would push for, I've been pushing for it for probably five years. We need a double header. Let's get the Mad Ants playing at like 3 o'clock on a Saturday, 2 o'clock. You, you got to keep in mind the NBA teams run the show. Like you cannot mess with a player's routine. So you got to go early enough to where if Tyrese Halliburton wants to hit the floor at 4 o'clock, he can take the floor at 4 o'clock. So I think you'd have to play at maybe 2 p.m. But let's get a Mad Ants game at either 2 o'clock. Actually, let's do this. Let's move it up. Because I'm thinking I want to do it on the other end of it. Okay. Let's do a Pacers game at 3 o'clock on a Sunday. Sure. Mad Ants at 6 o'clock. To clarify, you were talking about during this window of time where they're in Gamebridge as well. You're not talking about the idea of having a, a noon game up in Noblesville and then making a drive at 7 yes. o'clock. No, for, you okay. have the Mad Ants okay. play after the Pacers, part of a doubleheader at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. And why I say that? Exposure. Marketing. You need to expose this Pacers fan base to this team. I just got a text. I had zero idea the Mad Ants were playing the last two years in Indy. 
My point exactly. This is the Fan Midday Show. You're listening here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Coming up at 2 o'clock, Joe Varden of The Athletic joins to talk more NBA postseason and much more. With Jimmy Cook, I'm Scott Agnes here on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Welcome back to the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook and Scott Agnes, Eddie Garrison helping us through the afternoon. We're going to continue our NBA conversations with Take It Back Nationally for a bit. Joe Varden covers the NBA for The Athletic. He's going to bring us up to speed on both tonight's games and just the state of both the Eastern and Western Conference as we get closer and closer to those conference finals being set. Joe Varden of The Athletic gives our NBA fix around the corner on the Fan Midday Show. Two o'clock on this Thursday afternoon. This is the Fan Midday Show with Jimmy Cook. I'm Scott Agnes. Continuing our NBA talk, welcome in Joe Varden, senior NBA writer for The Athletic. And with Joe, versatile, you can go a number of different ways in which we will. But Joe, let's start with last night and the Lakers and the Warriors, that matchup. I didn't think it was a very pleasing game to watch. A lot of foul calls, a lot of mess going on out there but the fact that we get a game six in this do we think the Lakers have enough to limp into the next round considering all the different factors going on yeah yeah sure I mean I think you know you've got two champions going toe-to-toe more so on the Lakers side but if you think about LeBron's career I mean I think that kind of permeates through the whole franchise with Anthony Davis (laughs) I, I mean, I don't know what to say. You know, I mean, he's hurt all the time. Um, that one seemed odd last night that he, he needed a wheelchair, but it looks like he's going to be good to go for, for game six. So, you know, LeBron, the, one of the greatest things of his career, arguably, maybe probably the greatest thing in his career, is the 3-1 comeback against the Warriors in the 2016 Finals. And while his legacy is secure in this league, um, he he certainly does not want to give one back. Uh, he doesn't want to be on the wrong end of a three-one mm-hmm. comeback. So, I yeah, I mean, I think I think they're they're gonna you know they're gonna put it all out on the table, uh, obviously for Game Six. I guess in part why I have some pause and all that. It, I mean, it doesn't it look like LeBron's kind of sixty percent, sixty-five percent, still better than most players. But if you don't have a, a full strength AD and it seemingly won't, it's asking a lot, much like it is right now with the Warriors and and Steph. He he has to go for thirty for them to have a chance to win a game. Yeah, Steph does. I, I still don't think necessarily that LeBron does. I, I think Anthony will be okay. I, I do. I mean, just I have seen him over the last few years. Um, you know, he he can go out there and go for 11 and six rebounds and shoot four or 15, you know, whether he gets knocked in the head or not, or he can go for 30 and 20. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the inconsistency, I think, is, is what it is with him. Um, it's an interesting point that you bring up with LeBron because um, he doesn't seem to be moving at that same playoff speed. He insists that he's playing um, – He's playing with what is around him, which he's suggesting that there is more around him than he's had in the past. I'm not sure I buy that. Um, you know, he did play a, a, a playoffs with Kyrie, Kevin, and J.R. Smith. Those, those are, you know, three pretty good players. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, you, you. I guess I've been saying to myself that he is saving that big game, like that all-out effort for a moment like this. So, yeah, I mean, game six against his arch nemesis, 
the reason that he only has four titles is standing right in front of him, and it'd be a nice little sweet uh, piece of revenge to, to put them out. Joe, do you think in terms of role players that this is the, the best supporting cast he's ever had? Well, I mean, the Heat were pretty good. Um, I, I think that this team, you know, because in 2018 here in Cleveland, where I still live, they they did this like the Lakers did. They they totally reshaped the team at the trade deadline. They they moved like seven players. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Uh, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and, uh, and then the Pacers almost put him out in the first round. That was nuts. Uh, but but the point is, he's been through this before. But this time, the job that that Rob Palinka did in Los Angeles was incredible. Um, and you know, I mean, from Vanderbilt to Rui Hachimura, who he's never had a player like that behind him, I don't think. I mean, Jay Crowder would be the closest, and, and Jay didn't work out in Cleveland at all. Um, Austin Reeves is is streaky, but I thought was pretty darn good last night. Uh, D'Angelo Russell is, in, is an interesting player. And, and just kind of on down the line, like the Lakers now, by, mo- by, by getting uh, Russell Westbrook into a lesser degree, Pat Beverly out, um, and 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 supplementing the roster with the players they have now, this team fits better. So I don't know if I've answered your question if this is the best he's ever had, um, but it works around him, especially at this stage of his career. Joe Varden of The Athletic with us. Your latest story talking about not LeBron, but his son, Bronny James, and a cool accomplishment for him. Committing to school, play at USC, basically staying home, which I found interesting, but really not too surprising because if anything, LeBron can still look over him, can take care of him, can work out with him at the Lakers facility. Uh, Did this kind of go the route in which you thought it would over the last several months? I think so. I mean, I guess the homer in me um, wanted to do, uh, like I, I wanted him to go to Ohio State. Sure. Um, and partly, I mean, Ohio State's really struggling right now. I mean, I, you know, your listeners know that uh, this has not been a good few years for Ohio State basketball. And so I, I guess I, I was hoping for the, for the Bronny James sort of like jolt of life into that program. But this does make a lot of sense. And it goes, it goes back to the thing that I talk about all the time when I talk about LeBron's final few years in this league, which is they – love Los Angeles. And it's not just him. It is his wife. It is his children. They love it there. They love it. Like they are so comfortable there. They are comfortable with the lifestyle. Um, And so as you try to do any math or look at how good or bad the Laker roster is or what Bronny's draft status is, you, you have got to remind yourselves that, that the, the LeBron James family, the James game, they love living in L.A., and I, this is just this is another example of that. Joe Varda with us of The Athletic. Joe, how different do you think the Eastern Conference, in, in terms of the star power within it, is going to look this time next year? Well, so, I mean, are you asking me? I'm, I, I guess I'll – I'm sorry. That was, that was kind of broad. I mean, specifically with all the rumblings about uh, – with Tatum and Brown out in Boston. I mean, I'm not sure they don't win tonight. 
So, I, I, I mean, I, I'm not ready to break them up yet. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> um, you know, Jim, you know, James Harden, I mean, he's almost been open about wanting to go back to Houston. So that's a weird one. Yeah. Um, you know, you wonder about the Raptors, what's going to go on there. Like, where's Wembenyana going to show up? Um, I really like the East a lot. Obviously, much tougher top to bottom than it has been. The Heat are just, like, making us rethink everything. Um what we thought was true in, in that conference. So I get your point. Um, I, I, you know, I, I mean, I, I understand that both that Tatum and Brown are both max eligible or super max eligible now. And, and I haven't looked into the, the, the sort of the mechanics of all that. Um, but they've, they've gotten so close with those two close enough to where they should not break them up if, if they can avoid it. The reason I asked the question and and you mentioned Miami kind of throwing a wrench in all this and what they've done is it feels like there could be, if you're a team that's maybe on the outside of the playoffs right now. And of course there's bias here thinking about the Pacers, but that as you're building out this rebuild, that, that there is a, I would call it a power vacuum, but there is an opportunity to get yourself in that conversation over the next couple of years, maybe quicker than one might have thought based on what we've seen out of the East this year. Yeah, that's a great point. And it's something that I say all the time. Like if you if you're in a rebuild and you just think and your guys are too young um, and you need three, four five years, OK, uh, then you don't rush that. But if you are closer like even like the Cavs, uh, for instance. Yeah. But but the Pacers, right? You know, the, before their injuries, the Pacers looked really good for a couple months. Um, and so, like that, that's a prime example. They are closer, and the East, and even to a degree, the West have shown you that if you are close, it is always worth it to take the shot because you don't know what else is going to happen. And the Heat are the best example of that. They absolutely could have laid down in the in the play-in decided like you know what it's been a crummy year we're we're going to be the eighth seed because we lost already you know we were in the conference finals last year forget about it and now look they're about to go back to a conference finals um because you just don't know and so yeah so i i mean i think if you're a pacer fan and you're seeing what's going on in the East now, and you know what you've got in that room, you feel pretty good, and you feel like you're closer than you were when this whole thing started. So, you know, hopefully for the Pacers, they do take a little bit of a swing next year. Joe Varden of The Athletic with us. And, and Joe, I think all season long, we saw the level of parity across the league kind of increase. I mean, how so many of those teams in the Western Conference were separated by like a game or two, uh, the back end of that Western Conference looking for uh, the postseason. I'm looking go back to the Eastern Conference, though, and many of the teams that you cover. And you could just go down the list, the top four teams, and there could be a lot of questions come the offseason. The Bucks, new coaching staff, do they remake the roster and to what extent? Boston, there's been questions with coaching and what you guys already have discussed here. Philly, you never know. And then I'm curious what your, how you feel about the team in your backyard, the Cavaliers, high promise, coming off a strong season led by Donovan Mitchell. Where do they go from here? Yeah, this guy, those are all, I mean, those are great examples. And then you, the Heat, the, the, the Raptors are going to have a new coach. Uh, Brooklyn's going to take a step back. Um, you know, the Knicks, another interesting discussion there. The Cavs, um, I, you know, I think the Cavs are where they 
wanted to be and where they thought they should be. Mm -hmm. Um, Very disappointing from a fan perspective to have lost in the first round in five games. But the Cavs kind of told you that this is where they were all the way back in September. They told you they were better, a lot better, and they told you that, that bringing Donovan in and trading what they traded to get him certainly accelerated the timeline, but it didn't, it didn't accelerate it to the point where they had to win this year. They did not upgrade the three. They went into the playoffs um, with, with just a number of unproven commodities there at, at the three, and that, that proved to hurt them. Um, and they told you that they wouldn't be ready to contend until Evan Mobley is ready to contend. This was his first playoffs. Um, there were some eye-opening moments for him after a really good season, especially in the second half. Uh, he saw what he has to do, both as a basketball player and as, a, as an athlete, uh, in terms of being uh, bigger and stronger and not letting guys like Julius Randle uh, being able to move him off the block like that. So there's a lot to look at from the Cavs' perspective. Um, They need to be better next year. I think there's ways that that can happen. Um, And, you know, if you're them, you want to get second-round conference finals so you can begin to make your pitch to Donovan Mitchell that he he should stay. Joe, the next relevant date for Pacers fans on the calendar is next Tuesday night's NBA draft lottery. And and while we can cross our fingers as much as we want, they obviously have a low chance of ending up with Wembenyama. Looking at him as a player, though, and looking at the teams that are in the lottery, is there a perfect fit for him? Or do you think he'll work just about anywhere because of how talented he appears to be? Well, I mean, I listen, I know he's 7'4", and that he can shoot threes, and that it takes him like one and a half steps to get from <laughs> the half-court line to, to no the kidding. rim. Yeah. Um, like, I, I, I don't pretend to be a talent evaluator, so I'm, I'm rocking with these guys who say he is a can't-miss thing. Um, I think he fits anywhere because of all those, of all those things. I mean, it's going to be on Victor. You know, again, I mean, what's going to happen when he has to guard Julius Randle? Like, he, he's, a, he's a kid, and, and he's got to fill out. Um, and that, that could make for, you know, a, a tougher rookie year. Um, but as long as he avoids that freak Chet Holmgren injury, um, yeah. I mean, I, I think there's every reason to be excited for this guy. And, and, yeah, like whether it's the Pacers, the Hornets, the Pistons. I mean, imagine him in Orlando next to Ben Caro and some of those other guys. I mean, geez, like there are a number of teams where you drop Wembenyana in there and all of a sudden they are can't miss uh, teams to watch every night. Joe, this is where I planted my flag. I think the Spurs with Pop in the last go-around would probably be the most interesting, both because of Pop and their development. I don't think Houston, Charlotte – uh, or Orlando are deserving of all of that, of how they'd handled stuff. <laughs> and Portland, next to Dame, is also probably number two, talking about the bottom teams here that have the highest chances. Adding him to Dame in Portland and seeing if they could maybe take off for one last chance with Dame would be the, my second option. You know what, Scott? That's a great point. Um, I, I, I think, yeah, I, I want to talk about the, the Blazers for a minute because you, like – in this modern era of sports where guys leave all the time and, and so rarely, well, I guess, I mean, you could say Curry, you could say uh, Giannis, but, you know, we have stars that leave all the time. And Dame Lillard is one who did not. 
And you have to honor that. You have to be uh, feel good for him and the Blazers that he has not pushed his way out of there or left in free agency when he could have a, a number of times. Um, but it, it's like that storyline is getting tired. Um, it, it seems like they regress that they're not getting better. Uh, the furthest they got was when he, it was he and, and CJ, yeah. and um, they, they didn't have enough then. So, like, wouldn't that be so, – yeah, like, I think you bring up a great point. Like, why not let's drop Wimbanyana out there in Portland next to Nike and uh, and just see how this goes. And if it doesn't work <laughs> out, then maybe Dame can head to New York or, or wherever. Joe, you would be able to answer this question better than most considering the amount of time that you've covered LeBron. It feels like year after year after year after draft class, the next LeBron, the next Jordan, all the hype that is forced on these prospects. It, is Wembenyama's hype and all the promo videos that are out there about him, is it the closest thing that we've had since LeBron in terms of coverage, or is it not even to that point yet? It, well, it's hard to measure because I thought that there was a level of, of excitement with Zion. Yeah. And um, the, I think the problem with that is we all forget because his career has been such a disappointment since he's gotten into the league. I mean, it just, there's no other way to say it. And so um, I think that Zion was at that level. I think that Victor playing in France um, has been a part, like has kind of tempered some of that as to what it could be if he were at Duke or North Carolina or where the Hoosiers, whatever. Um, but keep your eye on, I mean, he's going to get drafted before this happens. But the FIBA World Cup in the Philippines this summer, he, he's supposed to play, and France is already really good. And, you know, we're, we're kind of already headed towards this path of a USA-France semifinal. Um, that, those are the two teams that met in the gold medal game in Tokyo. And if that happens again uh, with Wembenyan on the team, look out. Uh, you talk about fever pitch, uh, the hype machine. I think that would, that would do it. Could they win gold in 24? We, we had a conversation yesterday, I believe it was with Tim Bontemps, is, is the one that said it, that he feels like they could contend and, and maybe win the whole thing outright in 2024. Oh, my, of course. They, they could have won They could have won in, 20, right, right. in 21. Yeah. This, listen, I had a conversation with Nick Batum about this. Um, he is the team captain for France. This is his last cycle this year and next doing that, and then he will retire from international basketball. And he said to me that the 24 Olympics, which of course is in his home country, are shaping up to be the best basketball tournament in world history. Mm, uh, wow. Think about that for a minute. I mean, yeah, like the, just the amount of talent, like everybody expects Team USA to send an A team, um, you know, Durant again, Curry. Like, people have talked about LeBron. And I don't mean, like, you know, clowns like me. I, I mean, like, like it, like people involved in the picking of the players and, 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 and other players who play for other teams. They're saying that is what is out there, that the, that the, the cream of the crop A-list Americans are, you know, are headed to Paris. And we already know that France, you know, could have Gobert, could have Wembenyana, could have Joel Embiid. Um, you know, we know about the Australians. We know about Luka Doncic. We know about Nikola Jokic, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Just on down, on down the line. It's going to be awesome. Last thing for me, Joe, Joe Varden of The Athletic with us. You've covered a lot in your time since you moved to the NBA. Where does covering USA basketball stack? Is that a, a top or maybe is it the LeBron teams just because of the, the – 
consistency of success and getting back to the finals. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, yeah. I mean, you'd, I'd have to say still that those four years um, covering LeBron and Cleveland were okay. among the best four I've ever had. Um, but I, I love this beat. I do love covering Team USA, um, get to see the world, uh, and get to see these these guys who are stars in our country who are in a unique pressure situation that they do not have in, in the NBA. And it, it is a cauldron, um, and it's fascinating to see how they how they manage it. So yeah, I, I really like covering that team. Good stuff, Joe. Appreciate the time. Hope you're doing well. Thanks, Joe. Uh, same to you, bud. Thanks, guys. It's a friend Joe Varden of the Athletic. Great guy. Lives in Cleveland, but covers the the league as a whole. And he mentions all that the FIBA talk. Daniel Tyson, Indy, right now working out with all the young guys because he's gearing up for that, playing with Germany. And they're coming off a disappointing past year where they finished uh, in third. They thought they had a real chance to win the the World Cup last year. So he's a guy on a mission along with Team Germany trying to make some noise. And the other thing in all this, Jimmy, that stands out to me is all the Canadians. That Canada team could be really special in another year or two. Think about it. SGA, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. You come local. Ben Matherin, Andrew Nimhard, O'Shea Brissett. I mean, you got three guys right there. Uh, there's so many guys. Jamal Murray uh, on the Nuggets and on R.J. Barrett, I think, with the Knicks. They could, if all of them play, Canada could be a real contender. And by the way, their coach, Nick Nurse, really good. It goes back to our point the other day that the NBA's mission, starting with David Stern and the continued rollout with Adam Silver, of growing the game, of being able to have not just contributors, but high-level, top-tier of the sport talent be represented across the globe is reaching newfound heights year over year over year. And the fact that we are having a discussion about Team USA's ability to continue dominating the sport at the Olympic level, at the FIBA level, and the fact that that's now in question is something probably... 20 years ago would have been laughed at by most. That's and, exactly and it's right. It's beautiful for the game. Yeah. For the last, be, until about 20 years ago, what was it we had right here at Gamebridge Fieldhouse? Back then it was Conseco Fieldhouse. And USA did not do well at all. I believe Argentina and Manu Ginobili and company won that off the top of my head. But that was a poor look. Then you sent a bad field, I think, to the Olympics, I want to say, in 2004. Did not fare well. That was like Richard Jefferson and, and a group there. And that's when they started to get serious about it again because they could no longer just show up, not practice, and win. Remember the, the exhibition games Team USA played a year and a half ago in Vegas, they lost like two of the three games, including to Nigeria, I believe it was, coached by Mike Brown. So it, they cannot take it for granted. They need their stars. I do wonder how much longer will those stars be willing to participate? Are there other things that are less interesting, that are more interesting to them, such as having a full offseason, to go on vacation, to not put more wear and tear on their body, or will the allure of both playing for their country but also, let's not ignore the fact it's also very good for their shoe deal, for getting exposure nationally, to selling more apparel. That also is a factor. Those, The Nikes, the Adidas, all of them love when their players are participating. The only thing Joe said to me that would truly surprise me, I would be stunned if LeBron James is participating in 2024. Like I, I just, I feel like that boat passed One last when he wasn't a part of the roster by his choosing. In Tokyo, 
Like, I'd be really baffled with how old LeBron is getting Mm -hmm. and the fact that what's on the table right now this season is another finals run. It would really surprise me unless he's feeling sentimental about it and, like you mentioned, one last ride that he would be wanting to be on that roster. Obviously, if he decided to, he would. But LeBron's so talented even right now versus 10 years ago. He has a spot on that roster if he wants it. The other thing is keep in mind what happened, I want to say, like 10 years ago. Kobe Bryant was kind of that guy. And the team was losing a little bit. He took things seriously. He, I think he won the gold medal game for them, or maybe the game to get to them to the gold medal game. And if without him, who knows? I could see LeBron playing that role, where he, he plays him 15 minutes, but then maybe there's that game like Joe mentioned this year in the pl- playoffs, where he, he bottles it up, puts it in the tank, and... and uses that reserve when he needs to because he's that smart, that calculated. I could see that. And to get one more gold medal, he's a guy that's about legacy. He's a guy that's about history. That means something to him. And, oh, by the way, he has a lifetime deal with Nike. The main difference there, though, and that's a great example of Kobe, is that he never jumped out of the Olympic team cycle during that stretch. He was still a part of it in 08. He was a part of it in 12 when they won gold. Mm -hmm. And then I I need to double check this. I do not think he was on the team in 16. That was finally LeBron's team to. to it might have been 12 that Rio, I was referencing. But 12 that. is what you're talking about. And, and he was yes, really viewed as London. the captain of that team in London. So th- the difference there, though, was that those were consecutive Olympics played. This would be a whole other cycle. M- who knows? I mean, you're right. LeBron has the lifetime deal. So, like, it's supposed to some extra value there for him if he wanted to, not something he would need to do. I just think with where he's going to be at at that point, I mean, what, Steve Kerr's be... the coach, so that's different. The sure. new voice. Sure. A lot of them were intrigued to play by play for uh, Greg Popovich in the last couple of windows. Now that's him with uh, Eric Spolstra as one of the assistants, Mark Few. Uh, Pacers have had several assistants, a part of that, Nate McMillan, Lloyd Pierce. It all depends on where he feels the Lakers are at a championship window at that point in time. He's going to be 39 years old going into those Olympics. You would assume that would be another deep run into the playoffs, depending on what L.A. does this offseason. And his contract will be up after next year. Yeah. So maybe he signs a big deal elsewhere, or he goes back to doing his year at a time, because he's that good and he can, even that late in his career. But I think it would be... Selfishly, selfishly, I I would love to see LeBron, KD, Steph... That one last dance for those guys, because in fairness, then you do need to turn it over. You do need the younger guys right. to really take charge. Devin Booker certainly would be on the team if he wanted. I think Lillard would be, probably be a borderline guy. Drew Holiday, probably not anymore. Right. If we're talking another year, Tyrese Hur- Halliburton absolutely sure. warrants consideration as their top point guard or the, one of their point guards. It would be a passing of the torch moment. My issue, I think it's already happened. I think he did that by passing it off to, to KD and company last cycle, Jason Tatum. Like that, I, I think that is what happened there. You never know, though. Yep. There's always an opportunity <laughs> to, to to cash in a little more to expand the legacy. But again, like Joe mentioned, at this point, barring what would be a scab on, on the legacy to blow a three-one lead here, it's pretty much set in stone for him. Other than racking up more NBA championships. Enjoyed that conversation with Joe Varden of The Athletic where you can read his work. We're going to take time out. And on the other side of this break, I think it's time for another trivia. What do you say about that, Eddie? Let's let's make that happen. We'll have trivia. Your chance to win some valuable tickets this month for the month of May here over at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So stay locked in. Be glued to your phones. Be able to make that first call. And uh, we'll have a trivia question coming up, right, Jimmy? 317-239-1070. We'll have that trivia for you again. It's a 
prize package, including a pair of tickets to Qualls and Carb Day. Have that for you around the corner here on The Fan. This is The Fan Midday Show, 2.31 in the afternoon. Thanks for joining us here on this Thursday afternoon. With Jimmy Cook, I'm Scott Agnes. Eddie Garrison was scheming up the question during the entire break. 317-239-1070, right? That's the the number. Panthers there, you know, taking it up to the very last minute to submit the the question. Indeed. Eddie, what do you got for our listeners? All right, so we've got four on the line. Jimmy, how do we want to do this today? We go chronological, do we want to have Scott pick at random? How do we want to do this today? Let's go go top to bottom. You go top to bottom. Fast fingers. All right, Steve, you're up first, and here is your trivia question. This pertains to the Indianapolis 500. Who has the most career starts for the race? Um, uh, Mario Andretti. Negative. Justin. We'll see if listeners are smart writing down who not to answer with. <laughs> who has the most the career way. starts in the history of the Indianapolis 500? Alonso Jr. Negative. Oh, I'm, I'm surprised. I thought somebody would get this one. Mike. Uh, I'm going to go with A.J. Foy. Bingo. There it is. Third time's a charm. Third. Well done. Do you know how many or can you guess how many he made? Uh... I want to say 34, 30, 35, 36. Oh, right on the nose, 35. Yep. Yes, sir. That's a loyal listener and loyal yeah. uh, lover yeah. of the track out yeah, there. I yeah. appreciate that. Good Done. stuff. Great well, work, congratulations Mike. to him. He gets a nice little prize pack, doesn't he? Yep, he gets a pair of tickets to Indy 500 Qualls as well as Carb Day. Again, we'll have another giveaway tomorrow. And then if you're wanting to still get an extra opportunity, you can go online at 1075thefan.com on the contest pages and get an opportunity to win a pair of tickets there as well. So good work to Eddie. Good work to Mike. Always appreciate tying that in and, and putting a bow on everything as we get closer and closer Inside this month of May to race weekend, and Scott, I mean, across the board, we, we get a little bit closer in that regard with a benchmark with the uh, GMR Grand Prix upcoming, and then following that, you obviously have uh, the, the lead up to the Indy 500 sure. as we get closer to Qualls, we have closer to Carb Day, and it really makes... For us, not just as a station, I mean, obviously, you can see if you're on the YouTube chat, you see the decorations as a whole. We're ready. Just the aspect of it and how deep it goes across the state. I'm sure there's a number of people like Mike, even though we went over to the first couple times, that, that have so much of this race and granted their brain to the point that, okay, yeah, maybe you'll get the correct answer right on AJ Foyt, but pulling out 35 starts know exactly where it was. Again, it, it speaks to the passion and, and the pageantry that, that leads up and what makes this event so special. And I think it's fair to say that's that's someone who's going to the race oh, yes. every single year. <laughs> he's he's one that ha- makes a point to be there in person, to take part, and you have to. That's I love this time of year. I almost miss now where, you know, going back a decade where it used to be all month long. There was action. There was practice. There was something going on at the track every single day. Instead... It all gets really started Tuesday with with practice time. I think we have some practice time actually tomorrow, uh, some on on track practice. But you know, a couple weeks away from the race, and and there's nothing like these last couple of weeks in May for those of us who have experienced it and continue to. And you mentioned to start the show, our longing for 
playoff basketball back in oh, the state yeah. whenever the stars would align. And you saw a lot of that when you mentioned you turned the clocks back a decade ago, that you have your, your racers and pacers and just the whole turn of the city as a buzz is becoming not just a, a major sports capital as it always is, as the racing capital of the world when the Indy 500 arrives, but having that crossover event. But again, you can't map that out. That's not a thing you just put on the calendar. All the stars have to align. But whenever you have back-to-back Pacers playoff basketball and then shortly thereafter followed up by the Indy 500 is what makes the entire month and this section of the sports calendar just off of the Masters, just off the NCAA tournament, Mm -hmm. it makes the beautiful transition into the summertime it's, much more it's right after the Derby, yep. and it's yep. Indy's time to shine over these next three weeks, really, to close out May. And one of the things I always get back into is, is relearning the paint schemes, mm-hmm. and some of them change. And it had me thinking the other day, randomly, I don't know why I was on this, is what were my favorite paint schemes? And I think my favorite two, or most memorable maybe is the better way of putting it. Number one for me, guys, Graham Raghall's Steak and Shake. Yeah. That was special. <laughs> Outside of that, I would probably go uh, with the target old Target Chip Ganassi yeah. when you had what was it Will Power and Scott Dixon. May, oh yeah, maybe Dario Franchitti and that mm-hmm. just the fire engine red, ready to go with Those, the Target symbol right absolutely. there at the front of the nose. Yeah, Those popped and were memorable. Maybe El- Elio's changed a lot over the last half dozen years. I will say his first uh, cars, the highlighter yellow, highlighter green, or tennis ball. Whatever color you want to describe Simon Pagino's Menard's car uh, back when he was with Team Penske. That's another one. The, cr- mm-hmm. the craziest thing that in terms of having a crossover sport that is internalized on, on my personal account. One year we did, I can't remember which year. It might have been 17 when Kumasato won the first time. Jeff. We had Correct. the um, uh, we had our NFL fantasy draft lottery again in may because we're psychos right you, you have fantasy yeah, yeah, draft. correct for where you're picking oh, for the draft oh i like this we, we, you assign drivers yes we assign drivers fantastic. and based on order of finish is, is where you're picking. yes so that was uh oh, i can't remember who who from our family won it that year but yeah that's the uh just a crazy tie-in a couple years ago we did the derby but that's again just a two-minute race to have that over the course of the entire 500 another angle of stakes that it's non-betting angle right like that adds a whole other level when you open up what type of flyers you want to take from a betting perspective sure that one no money really involved but yeah if you're a fantasy football player and you're looking for a way to have that draft lottery that's one of the creative ways we did is assigning it based on drivers for the 500 so did they, did you guys select your drivers at random or randomly assigned, or did you get to pick it? Like, I'm so intrigued it was, by this. Okay, so, so it was a randomly assigned <laughs> process. Uh, you had basically owners of the teams in our league, yeah. their names in one hat, and then in another hat you had the drivers in the field. Mm. You pull one, and I'm, I don't know if people can relate to this if you're in family or friends leagues of any kind whether it's fantasy football or just something that has a competitive aspect to it there's always going to be people that are like oh you cheated you rigged the, you rigged the lottery so you could go ahead and, and get the best driver in the field and then get the number one pick i went nba nhl draft lottery style eddie okay. we filmed it filmed the whole thing nice. had, it, had it straight put so the 12 no, minutes on youtube exactly, exactly. full transparency here is it on youtube jacob uh, no no it's not anymore. are you just no. saying that so i don't go no genu- genuinely i know it's not anymore it's unlisted eddie mm. unlisted on youtube mm. right no. that's at least his excuse and he's sticking by it yeah my story's sticking to it so anyway there, there's plenty of different ways you can have crossovers regardless of 
if it's fantasy football or just your passion as a whole for the month of May. But we're we're getting really close and. God, I just I I need Pacers basketball, Pacers playoff mm-hmm. basketball back in my life. And by the way, we we know the NFL schedule, your favorite NFL schedule coming Woo! out tonight eight at eight p.m. But trickling out is also some Indiana basketball schedule notes. Let's talk about that on the other side as uh, uh, we wrap up this show here on this Thursday. Got a couple NBA games tonight. We'll hit on more. LeBron talking about being asked about flopping and all of that as we hit on at the top of the show. Just hilarious to me. Only question that we didn't ask Joe that I wanted to get his a lighter side question because obviously it's a it's a very funny talking point that's in what's that LeBron's comment right like 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 what like we talked about what else he's supposed to say. Again, he's not going to say, "Yep, yeah, I can't believe you caught on. I haven't caught hey, on." Don't yet. ask me that. You know better than me, right? Sure. Like, so, so uh, what is he supposed to answer with? But at the same time, that is, it happens in soccer too, right? The, the very top of the sport, uh, Kylian Mbappe, Cristiano Ronaldo, Lionel Messi, flopping in soccer, and it's made its way over the last there it fifteen is truly years. Truly part of the game, Correct. but it's. And Van Gundy said it the other night. It's made it over the last five or ten years to a point that it's a part of the game in the NBA, whether you teach it or not. You see it on a drive-by-drive basis. And you know those two, the the couple people that are really guilty in all this. To me, or Kyle Lowry is the number one guy, and Marcus Smart's right there as well. Yeah. Those two, mm-hmm. without fail, are, are flopping a couple times Austin Reeves game. is getting up there, too, for me. Okay. I don't know. If you, just Eddie watch him the next worse. game. He's yeah. much worse than Austin yeah. to me. I, I would agree, full body of work, but but Eddie's right. They're they're, they're starting to again understand. So you're saying he's the picking up from his teammate. Sure. Luka Doncic, sure, another one. Yep. Yeah. Oh yeah. Point well, to Luka, a superstar. Luka somewhere complains on their about a lot. Yeah. Luka's in that category of superstar who also loves to make sure and and speak his mind to the officials. I wish, yeah. as a whole, as a collective bunch, that there would be less of that. But I mean. I also say that and re- acknowledge I didn't think the officiating was very good at all. The crew they put on that Lakers-Warriors game, I was a little baffled by it. You had Zach Zarba, but the other two seemed a little bit out of their league. I have been so depressed with how much... Depressed? We, yes. Wow. Yes. With how much we have seen Bill Kennedy in the playoffs. <laughs> we get reviews, and it's not Bill Kennedy when he's working the game. I get yeah. so depressed. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> come on, just let the guy do it. He's the best at the best at that. Let him live, let him shine, let him yes. have his moment. I'm, I'm right there with you, Eddie. I don't know that I'm quite at the point where we can open up a, uh, a, a group therapy session, but I, I feel your pain. Worldwide, has a thread of Bill Kennedy <laughs> reviews. Those are great. His, oh, his reviews are excellent because how how he enunciates, enunciates as I try to say it, and also f- thoroughly explains what goes on. And he also mixes in a little bit of an attitude, a little bit of personality on there that makes it memorable. Most notable one life. was a PA announcer stole his thunder at one point in the last was year. was the uh, Atlanta Hawks this yes. year. Yeah. Yep, yep. Why am I not surprised? Yeah, I'm not a fan <laughs> of uh, that PA announcer. Nonetheless, 242 here in the afternoon. The fan midday show continues on after this here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Back for the final time this afternoon here on the Fan Midday Show. Scott Agnes, Jimmy Cook, and Eddie Garrison. Going into that break, I teased one more date known, not about the Colts or NFL, but instead with IU basketball. IU will open its season against Florida Gulf Coast at Simon Scott Assembly Hall. That'll be on November 7th, according to John Rothstein of CBS Sports. So, Jimmy, where does that stack up on dates that just you're loving? 
Yes. Not quite an NFL level, huh? I mean, look, I, I love my Hoosiers, but again, the NFL is king for a reason. And while that is an exciting day, and it's good to see again that they're going to be back, uh, I think, next season, the Hoosiers uh, at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Like that, like, I love seeing dates like that. I think like they're that. playing one game there. Harvard. Yes, against Harvard. Yeah, so yeah. Like, like that. that's nice to, again, to see them back within the city playing ball. But yeah, I mean, I... It's cool. Glad the schedule's getting fine-tuned. This is how I feel. Yeah. This is exactly how I feel about the NFL schedule, and I love it. Yeah. That's fantastic. We did find out another date with the NFL to please you. Jets, Bills, Monday Night Football, uh, Week 1. And uh, also, uh, of course, yesterday, the Black Friday, Dolphins, Jets. A heck of a lot of Jets. A heck of a lot of Kansas City. Those aren't surprising at all. I'm picking the Colts to have two primetime games. I think Carolina makes a lot of sense with the quarterbacks, and I'm also going with Cincinnati. Those are the two obvious ones. Of course, we'll have some closure, if you will, tonight at 8 p.m. as the NFL announced the schedule, but uh, I think those are the two dates that stand out to me for the Colts, and they'll be a little later on in the season, allowing Anthony Richardson to not just start but have some games under his belt. I took the over. I feel like there is a path where they could get a, a third game within that initial schedule. Um, though I will say, as some of the other leaks start to trickle out, I don't feel as confident in that as I did to start the day. But yeah, that, that's where I'm going. It is over for them in their total. Three sounds about right. Eddie, you I said stick two. Over you're, you're with me. Cool. Two in the under. Dose. Okay. okay. But you said you think Houston's the other one. I think not be Cincinnati Houston. because that would be more of a blowout. Yeah. I think, you know, you have the appeal of the storyline of the rookie quarterbacks going against. love storylines. Yeah, that's how I was looking at it. Like, I looked at the Colts schedule, or their opponents, I should say, and I I was like, okay, which of these teams could they have the storyline with? All right, Carolina, obviously there, where you have Frank Reich, and then you have potentially Bryce Young and Anthony Richardson, and then you look at the AFC, and it's like, AFC South particularly, you look at Houston, it's like, okay, they've got C.J. Stroud. Anthony Richardson, boom, there. That was just kind of like the low-hanging fruit, in my opinion. We also have two more NBA games tonight. Same time schedule as we've become accustomed to. 7.30 tonight, Boston at Philly. Philly wins. The series is over, so you know what that means. Boston's a must-win game. 10 p.m., Denver-Phoenix, and Denver's up in that series 3-2. So we'll see what kind of fight Phoenix puts up, and that one being at home for the Suns. So that becomes interesting. Now as we wrap up, it's time for, you know what time it is, that segment of the show. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my Way. This is how I win. Today's plays of the day, a little bit of a mix of baseball and the NBA playoffs as we've been doing, but okay. I'll be transparent and honest out of the gate as I always am. I'm looking like the 2022 Colts this week. We are 3-7-2 and two to this point on the week. A, a 0 for performance yesterday. It is, it is not... It's not been great. Not ideal whatsoever. But we're looking for a bounce back across the board tonight, starting first with the NBA playoffs. Going to take over 20.5 total points for James Harden tonight in a potential closeout game for Philadelphia Mm. against the Boston Celtics. However, I don't think they close it out. I'm going to lay the minus 140 in that regard in terms of what I'm playing from a cost perspective on the Boston Celtics. I think they force this into a game seven. Out west, give me the over 31.5 for Devin Booker and the over 30.5 for Nikola Jokic. But I do think that the Nuggets ultimately close out Phoenix tonight at plus 130. Last one for you in baseball. Give me the Tampa Bay Rays to one of the money line over the New York Yankees. What do you have for me tonight? Wow. A lot there. What do you have? I hope you're writing that one down. 
I, I know. I'm trying to forget. <laughs> audience knows I love to go against Jimmy when I can. You got an over for James Harden. You got an over for the Joker. You got an over for Devin Booker. You have Nuggets money line. You have Celtics money line. Or you go baseball and go Rays. Or go Yankees in that case. Oh, man. I'd love to go against you, but I can't today. I don't like any of those. You don't like the other side yes. of any of those? Okay, I, I, don't have any, I don't have any confidence in okay. any of the others on the other side. Okay. Uh, I'm looking at this Boston Celtics-Philly game tonight. I was on Jalen Brown last game. Of course, he goes three for eight. The free throw line, you don't cash the over 24 and a half. It's at 25 and a half. I had to go one way. I'd probably play the under there. Uh, we talked about this earlier in the week, too, with Joel Embiid. He hasn't faced too much traffic. I think they're going to have to create some traffic for him tonight. So if I had to go one way on Embiid, I'm going under 30 and a half. But outside of that, I don't really like anything tonight, Jimmy, if I'm being honest with you. Yeah, the baseball slate is pretty minimal. And again, we're getting to that point where, yes, we can complain a time or two of, ah, oh, that NBA playoff game there wasn't that good. Or, ah, oh, you know, I wish they had more compelling drama. Well, we're going to get quickly to a point here in the next week where it's just a game every other night with the conference finals and we're going to be missing it. So jumping in where I can oh, for sure. with these NBA playoffs in the conference semis. Yeah, and I, I've been finding these games to go the opposite way and most of the time that I haven't been expecting. But I would consider the unders first half for both games. I think Embiid will go off as usual, and I think Denver closes it out tonight against Phoenix at Phoenix. And that would be the first uh, uh, first game of these series that is complete now. All I'm asking for out of either of the games tonight is give me competitive basketball yeah. the extent of the game like I'm fine if it's like a 10-0 run that gives you like an 8-point lead but I don't want a, a going away win one or the other I want to feel like either it was a, a epic dramatic closeout for both uh, respectively Denver and Philly or I want late heroics by the star power of Brown and Tatum in Boston by Kevin Durant and Devin Booker out in Phoenix I want to see a response from Boston yeah what are they made of? This is the true tell, telltale point right here. You point to maybe a legacy game. I know that phrase not, gets not legacy, but, but I think it's a pivot point. It's I, a pivot. Point. I mean, exclusively for Tatum, right? Because he is up there now at the tippy top in terms of when you think about best players in the league. He's been there, and this Celtics team has been the dominant force in the Eastern Conference. They haven't always made it out, but they've been a dominant top two, top three team Mm -hmm. during this era since Tatum and Brown have been there. Yeah, I want a statement game from Jason Tatum on the road tonight in Philadelphia. I want a 40-10-5 line from Jason Tatum. I do. Well, we have enough points, I wonder, in that that whole game to get there. I'm I'm Generally, not a legacy guy. Like, sure. give me two or three years after they've retired. Sure. Like, it's too early for LeBron legacy, legacy to me, for example. That's why I, I think they could go in a different direction and pivot if things don't work out quite well or as they would like here if things don't go Boston's way because they should absolutely be in the conference finals, maybe the finals with the team that they have coming off of last year. And we talked about earlier in the show of the availability for maybe a changing of the guard or a true power swing in the Eastern Conference. And even though closer to home, we hope that advantage goes the Pacers way in terms of what they can build this offseason for Boston. It, it could be defining because if the pivot point is big enough to break things up there, then that's a total makeup shift for what the Celtics are looking at underneath the era of Jason Tatum for the remainder of his career. Yeah, as we talked with Joe Varden, those top four teams in particular, a lot of question marks now and in particular coming up this summer, to be clear. Evan Sidery joined us, Joe Varden as well. All that is up on the podcast. Thanks to Eddie Garrison. Jimmy, it was great to be in with you. John is next here on The Fan.